Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. And then, that'll be the beginning of the first one-on-one meeting between a sitting U.S. president and the leader of North Korea. And we do understand it will be one-on-one. Just the two men and their translators. Now, President Trump seems to have slept little, if at all. That's the issue with Asian jet lag. But he started tweeting just after 5 a.m. local time this morning. His most recent tweet slamming critics of the meeting, calling them, quote, haters and losers. Bob, a senior Trump administration official, is telling us they're going to you know, go go in front of the cameras for this first very formal handshake. And then there is this one-on-one. And, and, and we really do understand it to be one-on-one. Trump, Kim, translators. That's it. No aides, no, no other secondary, tertiary sources on what actually happens in the room. Your take? That's a bad idea. You've already mentioned the jet lag. Uh, the issues are too complicated for him. He's said in so many words he's not really up on the issues. Uh, in the sense, it starts a process, and it's better than threatening each other. So that's the good part of it. But at the, at the end of the day, I don't see what you could get out of a one-on-one meeting like that. And will he even remember what was said at that point? And will he cover the main points? I'd say I could. For Kim Jong-un, this is already a victory because he wants legitimacy. He wants a place on the international stage. He wants to be recognized as an equal by the president of the United States. He wants to be seen as a nuclear power. And he's achieving all that. This is a tremendous propaganda victory for him. Now, Scott just suggested it was a huge victory for Donald Trump simply to come to the summit. Well, you know, I beg to differ because, in fact, any previous president could have easily had a summit with any previous leader of North Korea because they've all been very eager to be legitimated by the president of the United States. And Donald Trump is the first one uh, to agree to do that. Well, I mean, this was just a fiasco at the G7. I've never seen anything like this. And the contrast is all the greater when we see the way that uh, Donald Trump is glad-handing Kim Jong-un who is the enslaver of his people, somebody who keeps more than 100,000 people in slave labor camps. And he's talking about how honored he is to meet him and how what a great relationship they have and how they're going to get along great. And on the other hand, his aides are saying that Justin Trudeau, the prime minister of our closest ally and neighbor, Canada, he's going to rot in hell. I mean, that is a, a striking contrast in the difference between the way that Donald Trump approaches dictators and Democrats. This is just very destructive of the American position in the world and whatever. And in fact, this may ultimately turn out to be more significant than whatever happens here with Kim Jong-un. We'll see what happens. But the fact that Donald Trump is undermining the unity of the Western alliance, which has been the underpinning of American peace and prosperity since 1945, I think is a calamitous development. I sometimes can't tell if if his superpower is that everyone thinks that they're not going to be the mark and he's the mark. I mean, you know, he 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 does have a he. What what he is able to do is not care enough to get through every successive interaction. And other people are burdened by caring. Shinzo Abe. Other people are burdened by a set of conceptions of their fidelity or duties to the to the state they represent. Um, he is kind of unburdened by that. And so you've got a situation now where no one i don't think anyone care, thinks that donald trump cares in some deep way just as a person whether about the substance of the matter like is there verified denuclearization is there a move towards liberalization or, or any of the human rights issues right, that of course talking right. about i imagine him what making you, that case right he I mean, cares about yeah. the headlines and everyone knows that who's on the other side of the i'm going to give up my best i'm a great deal maker but the self-proclaimed deal maker in chief has so far proven to be more of a deal breaker tearing up international deals 
and coming up short on domestic policies. Taxes with Republicans in charge is his only big win so far. Blair says the president is now looking for a diplomatic knockout. I think there's going to be the world cameras are going to be focused on the handshake and whether who leaves the imprint on the other guy's hand. While millions of people will be watching for that photo op, billions of lives have a stake in the outcome. This is where the substance and details of any deal, arguably Trump's most important yet, play a crucial role. Just in the geography to make your point, at least, he sits about four or five feet from our closest ally in the north. That's, of course, Canada, Trudeau, who causes us no trouble. And then you see him huddling, these pictures of him huddling, you know, with the other guy, with Putin. You know, it's, it's really, it's a statement. He can relate. He likes Putin. Donald Trump can relate to authoritarians. He, as a former businessman, he likes absolute control. And we is he a seen, wannabe despot? I have, I have conceded that for years now. I mean, we're going on years. All of his behavior is attacks on the free press. His attacks on uh, alliances that are designed to strengthen our security. This is not. He has feels more of it. He calls Kim Jong Un. Honorable, yet Justin Trudeau no, of Canada should go to hell. He's weak. <laughs> he can be. He can be a wannabe despot. He, he wouldn't be the first person to reach the the top of a democratic country with that ambition. The Senate and Congress can't allow it. So all those other people that we just saw, the, the Paul Ryan's and and so on, they can't they can't sit by and watch him sort of fulfill his fantasy of wanting they to be a despot. Well, they oughtn't to be. At least that's, the more, that's the more surprising thing to me. It's not that Donald Trump wants to behave like a despot. It's that all of these other people who ought to know better are tolerating it, encouraging They're it. They're behaving the way people behave in a monarchy. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 12th of June, year of our Lord, 2018. And as you heard, North Korea happened last night. Pretty interesting. Uh, you, you can hear that we've been talking forever about how left just wants him to fail so bad that anything that happens that could be positive, that's what they come across like. And, you know, I was waiting for even more ugly to come out when I woke up this morning. And Nicole Wallace gave me exactly what I was looking for. Something else that our own Keir Simmons reported today and shared with us at 4 p.m. is that both men are liars. He said Kim Jong-un lies, and he said Donald Trump lies. So it is at this point, and I've talked to two former senior intelligence officials, it is a known unknown what, what was discussed, and it is not knowable that we'll ever know. What really happened what happened in that meeting because both men are known and established liars that's hard well, <laughs> somewhere rumsfeld just had a chill <laughs> well, that, I mean, that was Keir Simmons reporting i mean I, I, I mean i think i we all know that about donald trump i didn't know that about but you know I, mean, I wonder actually does that make does that make it a slightly less dangerous meeting because everybody knows both men, both men lie. And so, if, I mean, it'd be one thing if you had somebody who you absolutely trusted and they said, X just happened in that meeting. X definitely happened. And the other person contested it, but you didn't know whether or not to believe them. That would potentially be a more dangerous situation than two guys saying, X happened, no, you rode in on a unicorn, no, you But know. it means that to their domestic audiences, they can say whatever they damn well please. But and nobody think, will believe either of them. Well, nobody in, in the other country, but I think their domestic space consumes what he'll say, and I'm guessing that state media consumes. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty unprofessional. 
That's how I'd sum it up. Pretty unprofessional. History was made. The President of the United States met with the leader of North Korea. It's never happened before. And they just can't handle any success. Um, Jen H. Lee, a Korean reporter. There's no denying it. With this handshake, North Koreans Kim Jong-un and real Donald Trump have made history. Never before have the sitting leaders of the DPRK, or DRPK, excuse me, the United States, still technically Korean War foes, held a summit. Dave Erickson, translation. We preferred Barack Obama lying right to our face in an elitist way while humoring our egotistical nature to plain ugly politics. That was to Wallace. Keep it up, Emerson, DNC, and you'll lock down re-election for POTUS. Thanks again for your support. Unlike the world's two most prolific liars, BHO and HRC, as to which one is worse, it's a toss-up. Then CNBC White House reporter, formerly with HuffPo, and said the optics went in Kim's favor. The two flags, the American and DPRK, side-by-side, are a stunning propaganda victory for Kim. Derek Hunter, oh, shut the fuck up. North Korea is a prison. They could have staged this, and their people would never know it was fake. It's a summit. This is what happens at them. Stop being a liberal hack for five seconds. People tweeted him, Obama poses for photo with Cuban with Che in the background. Obama shook all sorts of hands. Obama criticized Bush and so did all the DNC and the media because he wouldn't talk to leaders. Obama said we had to be friends with Iran. Obama went out and took off the sanctions with Cuba. Obama did everything you wanted him to do while Russia took over other countries. I don't know why I get excited. I shouldn't get excited because this is normal. And how did our reporters act? Jim Acosta uh, acted a fool. Here's Gina Gentry. CNN confirms it was particularly Jim Acosta that yelled, so are you going to give up your nukes at Kim Jong-un during the photo op? Easily the most annoying person in the White House press corps, and that's saying something considering how crowded the field is. Another one, Jim is serving as today's pool reporter for all TV news networks who shares cost and resource for White House coverage. Needless to say, it's a memorable day to be a pooler. Jim Acosta during it, instead of tweeting the historic nature of this event, and at least giving Trump some credit, because he did it, he had a meeting with Kim Jong-un, Trump and Kim walk and talk after lunch. Trump says they're signing something. Then he criticized him. Trump tells me he has an excellent relationship with Kim Jong-un. There it is. They they just want failure. And I watched CNN this morning, and all they could talk about is, well, who knows in six months. So here's a few things after the Korea. I'm not going to read articles about it. I mean, it's still up in the air. We're going to stop a war game. And they've signed for a denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. But it's a start. Then I got to say, it's a better start than what we had with all these other people that never talked to the principals. And, you know, how'd your Clinton North Korea work? They got a bomb. That's all I have to say. What did Obama do? Nothing. So for the first time in the Trump presidency, I'm going to give him credit. He did something. At least they sat out and talked. Whether it bears fruit or it doesn't really isn't the point. 
It's the beginning of diplomacy. And last I checked, all you liberals ever talked about, George W. Bush is a piece of shit because he doesn't do diplomacy. Here's Trump doing a pl- diplomacy, and you call him a piece of shit, too. Some other stuff up front. Unfortunately, a U.S. Special Forces member was killed and four other service members were injured in Somalia. Uh, This happened this week. It's very sad. There was a statement, um, once again, because of Special Forces. You're probably never going to know why it happened. Um, But some Bill Clinton stuff that happened up front. Uh, sat down with the interview with Judy Woodruff on Al Franken. This is what he said. I, I think that I will be honest. The Franken case for me was a difficult case, a hard case. There may be things I don't know, but I, but maybe I'm just an old fashioned person, but it seemed to me that there were 29 women on Saturday Night Live that put out a statement for him. And that first and foremost fantastic story was called, I believe, into question. He then said, I think it's a good thing that we have all these higher standards. I think the norms have really changed in terms of what you can do to somebody against their will. That's what he said. Yeah. That's what he said. So how does he get away with this stuff? I I don't know how he gets away with this stuff. He just always gets away with this stuff. It's different standards. So... Um, you know, and then I'm going to talk about a personal thing. Uh, then we'll go into fire for effect. I finally beat the wife. And I wanted to say this up front because it's ne- it doesn't happen. You know, 31 years of marriage, almost 32, coming in April. Um, I've been pushing her to get rid of her Jeep Wrangler forever and get a car. Uh, she had a hard time getting her vehicle. She's got bad knees. She's going to get both knees replaced, uh, you know, in about five, six years, it's just inevitable. But we went out and we looked and we, we didn't plan to go buy one, but we ended up driving to drop her car off for servicing. Uh, her Jeep Wrangler, old big muscle, missile, muscle truck, all jacked up and everything. And we just ended up getting a Chrysler 300S. Now the new ones, um, don't look like the original. It looks, Way more like a Mercedes, and that's what they kind of lean on, that they took the Daimler-Chrysler relationship and stole everything. But this car is the nicest car I've ever owned, to be quite honest. There is not a feature on it you can't get. Leather seats, wood trim, backup cameras, automatic wipers. I mean, things that we've never had. You know, we've owned $50,000 vehicles, but they were Jeeps. So, you know, they're pretty stripped down, not, not super fancy uh, this thing is really fancy. It gets 30 miles a gallon. And I got to admit, all weekend, it was like a car commercial. We, we were just driving to be driving. There really wasn't a reason to drive. Probably didn't even go to town. But we did it anyway. And it was fantastic. So if you're looking for a new car, I don't get kickbacks from Chrysler. Um, I will tell you, that is a fantastic vehicle. Um, a really nice car. I gotta admit, it's a very stylish car. And we got it in, uh, ceramic gray clear coat. It's the weirdest color you'll ever see. It's very regal with a black grill. It's just gorgeous. So, um, that was something I wanted to talk about up front. Not because we got the car and be all braggedly. Um, I beat the wife. I finally talked her into it. So let's fire for effect. <laughs>
Mr. President, thank you very much for sitting down with the New York Times today on this really historic moment. Um, let me begin with uh, sort of the broadest criticism um, that I see out there, and so which you know I've, I've made myself, which is that um, we had six world powers on one side of the table. Yeah. We had Iran alone on the other side of the table. Yeah. How come we weren't able to translate that leverage yeah. into not just eliminating Iran's uh, ability to be a threshold nuclear power in a decade, but eliminating its nuclear enrichment infrastructure entirely. That seems to be the biggest criticism. Yeah, and I, and I think that criticism is, is misguided. Let's see exactly what we obtained. We have cut off every pathway for Iran to develop a nuclear weapon. The reason we were able to unify the world community around the most effective sanctions regime we've ever set up, a sanction regime that crippled the Iranian economy and ultimately brought them to the table, was because the world agreed with us that it would be a great danger to the region, to our allies, to the world, if Iran possessed a nuclear weapon. We did not have that kind of global consensus around the notion that Iran can't enjoy any nuclear power whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And as a member of the Non-Proliferation Treaty, the NPT, uh, their argument was we're entitled to have a peaceful nuclear program. And what we were able to do is to say to them, Given your past behavior, given uh, our strong suspicion and evidence that you made attempts to weaponize your nuclear program, given the destabilizing activities that you've engaged in in the region and support for terrorism, it's not enough for us to trust when you say that you are only creating a peaceful nuclear program. You have to prove it to us. And so this whole system that we've built is not based on trust. It's based on a verifiable mechanism whereby every pathway that they had is shut off. The pathway of enriched uranium, they have to remove 98% of the enriched uranium they have. They have to remove the overwhelming majority of their cascades. And for 10 years, they are under the most severe constraints. And then beyond that, they still have to sign up to an additional protocol that ensures we have the most intrusive inspection regime that's ever been created. They had a facility that, a heavy water facility, that could have created plutonium that was weapons grade. They have to entirely con reconfigure that. They had a facility for Dow that was underground and so would have been hard to reach. They have to remove uh, effectively the cascades there that could have developed uh, uh, nuclear material. So across the board, what we've been able to do is to assure that Iran will not get a nuclear weapon. And that was always the premise, Tom, mm -hmm. of us building this strong international sanctions regime. Uh, the notion that the world signed up for these sanctions in order to either achieve regime change, <laughs> to solve every problem in terms of Iranian behavior, uh, or to say to them in perpetuity they can never have peaceful nuclear power, that was never something uh, that was in the cards. Uh, but another big bombshell this morning about the Iran deal. I'll just read you the AP title. It says, Inside Obama's Secret Plot to Let Iran Skirt Sanctions. So this is basically the Obama administration so desperate to get a deal done, they are willing to mislead the American people, mislead yeah. Congress in order to...
to help Iran. So there was $5.7 billion held in uh, the Omani banks. And right. so the Iran say, we want to get this money out in order to do that. We have to translate, transfer this to euros. But first, it has to become U.S. dollars. Right. And the problem is uh, it's not allowed. The problem is that Jack Lew said flat out as Treasury Secretary, we weren't going to be able to do this. They will not have access to our banking system. Bottom line is they asked and below the radar after a two-year investigation by the Senate Permanent, uh, it's by the Senate Investigative Committee, the Permanent Committee, over the last two years, Senator Portman has announced that they've concluded that they went around the uh, banking system, went around, the, did not tell the American people the truth, and then when they went up to the banks and say, convert this, right. two U.S. banks said no. That's right. And so that's why it didn't happen. But here's the thing. The administration kept saying, oh, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Nope, we're not going to do it. They tried to do it. It didn't happen. And apparently uh, the Iranians figured another way, uh, another workaround to get this $6 billion worth of money. But this is a gigantic smoldering mess uh, that is tied directly to the Obama administration. So you would figure that this would lead every newscast. Yeah. Uh, How did it do last no. night? Well, according to the Media Research Center, uh, as you can see right there, the three major networks didn't cover it for one second. Why is that? Ben Shapiro had this observation. We've been hearing nonstop from the media that President Trump is the worst liar in history. But one of the things that conservatives find so incredibly galling about the media coverage of President Trump is that the media are so eager to use the word lie about President Trump in every possible context, but they will refrain in every possible context from using the word lie about President Obama, and they did for years. The word lied was never used with President Obama with regard to anything. They said that maybe he made a mistake, or maybe he exaggerated. They would never use that kind of language with regard to President Trump because this is how the media treat Democrats versus how they treat Republicans. Obama gets to run around saying he had a clean administration when he absolutely did not. And as Victor Davis Hanson said, uh, basically, if you look at the play-by-play -play of this, it looks like the Obama administration was advising the Iranian government how to circumvent U.S. law. And basically, they tried. It wasn't but the two U.S. banks saying, we're not allowed to do this. They would have right. done this. This is a huge story. It's unbelievable that you don't see more outrage or just simply right. more coverage. Yeah, that story was buried this week, but Iran admits to facilitating 9-11 terror attacks. Iranian officials in a, fir in a first have admitted to facilitating the 9-11 terrorist attacks in the U.S. by secretly aiding to free travel of all al-Qaeda operatives eventually went on to fly commercial airliners into the Twin Tower. Mohammad Javad Larjani, an international affairs assistant in the Iran in Iran's judiciary disclosed in Farsi language remarks broadcast on Iran's state-controlled television that Iranian intelligence officials secretly helped provide the al-Qaeda attackers with passage and gave them refuge in Islamic Republic, according to an English translation published by Al-Arabia. Hmm. But we did a deal with them and gave them $4 billion because Obama said it was the best thing for us. Really. Really. And the mainstream media ignored this story. They just didn't even talk about it. They gave it no airtime. Because it doesn't fit their narrative that everything Obama did is beyond reproach. But he gave mo money to people that helped take down the Twin Towers. Oh, I know why, because you think Bush did it. Okay, good. And then there was real spying. The DOJ sees phones and email records of New York Times reporter Allie Watkins in relation to an investigation to Senate Intel staffer James Wolf, who has been charged with leaking to the press. 
See, Watkins was reportedly romantically involved with Wolf. But just in case you thought the plot couldn't get any thicker, buckle up, because before working at the New York Times, Watkins was a reporter at BuzzFeed. Last night, BuzzFeed's editor-in-chief, Ben Smith, said he was deeply troubled by the DOJ's interfering with Watkins' constitutional right to gather. And all their tweets are something along this line. This story concerns reporters' work BuzzFeed. We're deeply troubled by what looks like a case of law enforcement interfering with reporters' constitutional right to gather information. The Daily Caller covered it. Watkins told her BuzzFeed editor about a relationship with the individual, James Wolf, who the Department of Justice is charged with lying to investigators during a leak probe, according to the New York Times, where Watkins now works as a national security reporter. BuzzFeed in chief Ben Smith said he would not comment on at all on the reporter's sources in the middle of the unjustified leak hunt. When the Daily Caller News Foundation asked about the extent the organization knew about Watkins' behavior to corroborate the Times reporting later, as BuzzFeed spokesman told the DCNF that the company does not dispute the Times reporting on Wolf's indictment, meaning that at least some BuzzFeed editors were aware of Watkins' relationship with the Senate Intelligence Aid. It was never disclosed in any of the pieces Watkins wrote about. BuzzFeed's position on this issue is that it remains unclear whether Watkins ever used any information. And people are doing this. Wolf is a reporting. Genuine question, Brian Seltzer. Do you think it's a problem? Will CNN cover it? How did New York Times cover it? Justice Department sees the Time reporter phone and email report records. It's first known use of such an aggressive tactic under President Trump. I remember under Obama. Oh, it was okie dokie. Nobody had a problem with it. And he wiretapped and did all sorts of shit. Um, NBC News, former member of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, James Wolf, age 58, has been indicted and arrested on three counts of lying to federal agents about three contacts reporter through encrypted communication. Nothing about it. Robert Barnes brings some light to it. Watkins rose up the journalistic ranks wickedly fast with extraordinary sources. Now the dots are filled in and Watkins previously had a three-year romantic relationship with an old guy. Liberal press, <laughs> Sam Stein. I've worked with Allie Watkins. She's among the most dogged out there. This is gross, gross use of government power. It's horrible now that Trump's doing it. Glenn Greenwald. One of the most extreme attacks on press freedoms on Obama's DOJ obtained the phone records of various journalists to find their sources. The right and some on the left weren't ballistic. Now the Trump DOJ is doing it. What will be their reaction? S.E. Cup, yes, too few on the left were bothered by Obama's prosecution of the press. I know too few on the right will be bothered by Trump's. I'm wondering if the media will be bothered enough. We collectively seem so distracted by stupid shit. But she said, not so. Jay Cooper, here's the Aliwaki story reference to the indictment. And it breaks it down. And it actually talks about her relationship. Robert Barnes, literally a day after criticizing Hannity for something he didn't say, Destroy messages on an encrypted app on your cell phone. Guess what leading member of the media are saying indicted liar James Wolf should have done? Wolf's alleged have lied to the FBI. Blah, 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 blah. So here's what the media said. As you can tell, I don't have a lot of sound bites on this. You're right about the last meeting between President Obama and German Chancellor Angela Merkel. Obama told us that Merkel had talked to him about her looming decision on whether to seek another term, something that she now felt more obliged to do because of Brexit and Trump. At the end of our time in Germany, when Obama bade her farewell, 
A single tear appeared in her eyes, something that none of us had ever seen before. You quote Obama telling you, Angela, she's all alone. Does the world feel alone when Trump's here? Well, you know, I think she's someone who stands for the same values that we've stood for for so many years. Um, and the feeling that she had after Brexit and the Trump election was she would no longer have... Why does Trump president. hate her or seem to not like her so much? Well, she's so successful. You know, she's she's a tough woman. She's a pragmatist. She stands up for what she believes. She's not going to play games. You know, she's not going to flatter Trump. You know, Angela Merkel is all business. Yeah. And, you know, she doesn't put up with a lot of BS. Yeah. Uh, and frankly, I think that's why you haven't seen her kind of chase him in any way in the same way. I think Americans would love to get a leader like her. Yeah, she's as tough a as a strong leader that looks out for the country, a German first perhaps in a sense, but very pro-European yeah. and very much world order. No one took steps with us to save yeah. the global economy after the crisis. You know what she is? She's competent. You know so much, I don't know where to begin except you've studied dictatorships all around the world. What does this president have in common with them? Let's talk about truth because that's how he doesn't want this judged. He wants to, are you with me or against me, is his question. He doesn't want to be, do you believe me or not? It's are you with me? I've never seen a leader in this country who tells untruths all the time, like him. And most of them do it to protect themselves when they're in a pinch. But this seems to be the language of this president, saying things that aren't true, like none of these women had anything to do with me. None of them. It's all lies. Everything's lies. And these people go, oh, okay, all right. Okay, everything's a lie but me. Investigators secretly seized years' worth of phone and email records from reporter Ali Watkins. The Times reports investigators did not obtain the content of those messages. The Times says Watkins had a three-year personal relationship with Wolf before she began working for the paper in 2017. Now, Watkins denies that Wolf gave her classified information, and her attorney says the seizure of her data was, in their words, disconcerting. Now, this is the first known incidents, incidents that the Department of Justice under the Trump administration has seized a reporter's data. It is a tactic that the Obama administration used in the past. We reached out to James Wolf for a comment we still haven't heard back. If he is convicted in this case, he could get up to 15 years behind bars. John. Jeff Begay's force in Washington. Thanks, Jeff. There's going to be a lot more coming out of that, about that, that story. Yeah, absolutely. What did they find on all those seized records from the New York Times reporter who had this relationship with and him? And who are the other reporters? Exactly right. And the Justice Department does not like take kindly to lying to the FBI. Yeah, we're not too into the... Uh, that's pretty unethical. And the saddest thing is if you, you trace down her stuff... Allie Watkins, I wanted to be Zoe Barnes till episode four. Sleeping with your source, especially a vindicated congressman? Did she do this because a house of cards? Huh. Robbie Starbucks breaks it down some more. Think of the implication of a major media organization tactically approved a reporter sleeping with the security and intelligence sources. Wolf was the head security for his committee. There's no way around this, what mess this is for the New York Times and the committee. Disturbing to ponder. The revelation that Allie was in a relationship with the head of the security for the SIC makes you wonder about the ethics employed when she became a Pulitzer finalist for McClatchy, D.C. at 20 years old for major reporting on intelligence committee torture report. Major issue going forward the man indicted James Wolfe was responsible for receiving, maintaining, and managing all classified information provided by SSCI. And basically, he did some pillow talk when he shouldn't have, but he was banging a 20-year-old. Yeah. That's pretty fuck up. But as you see, there's very little sound bites. 
Because we're still talking about the other Spygate. Here's John Farrow. The Spygate cult has basically been whittled down to Trump, Nunes, Fox host, Kim Strassel, and Hugh Hewitt. Dan Bongdingo. The Obama cult has basically been whittled down to Farrow, Rhodes, and Maxine Waters. And Chunk Flint said, don't forget CNN, MSDNC, ABC, CBS News, and NBC News staff. They are still under the influence. Yeah. Yeah, that's... That's pretty fucked up. So, we move on to the next thing. Uh, there were some deaths this week. And, of course, with every deck, um, you're going to have horrible, horrible people coming out. Uh, right off the bat, I, I have to do this, and I don't mean to, to, to belittle anybody, but uh, here's Barack Obama. Low plastic stool, cheap but delicious noodles, cold Hanoi beer. This is how I remember Tony. He taught us about food, but more importantly about his ability to bring us together, to make us a little less afraid of the unknown. We'll miss him. Dan McLaughlin. When you die, there are two options for Barack Obama memorial tweet. Pictures of Obama with you or a picture of Obama without you. And yes, there he, there he is. What's even funnier, a parody account that bills itself as tweets you wish you were from Barack Obama beat the real Obama by almost five hours since it looked exactly what the former president might have tweeted. It, too, went viral with over 167,000 likes. Rest on, rest in peace, Anthony, and they did a picture with Obama and Anthony Bourdain. So, uh, other articles. People of political stripes have been come together today to mourn the loss of Anthony Bourdain, who committed suicide. But as Oliver Willis has so visually demonstrated, and we'll get with it in a second, because for the second person, that's terminal. Uh, there will always be some people who will use the death of a beloved figure to demonstrate their own inhumanity. Just over a year ago, at the death bombing, deadly bombing at an Ariana Grande concert in Manchester, freelance blue check reporter David Levitt tweeted a disgusting joke which he later deleted since so many people asked. Here's what it said, and we did this on the show. Multiple confirmed fatalities in Manchester Arena. The last time I listened to Andrea Grande, I almost died too. Bourdain was one of the many people who called him out. You, sir, are truly a steaming, gaping asshole. And now that Bourdain's dead, Levitt feels like now it's a good time to fire back. So he sent a tweet to Anthony Bourdain, selfishly taking your own life and hurting your friends and family makes you the steaming, gaping asshole, Anthony Bourdain. Tyler Kyle says it like it is. Are you taking a victory lap following a man's suicide, or am I missing something? You've said some horrible things before. This is so ignorant. You don't have any idea what his inner struggles were or what battles he had to deal with. This does nothing to help those battling depression, and he's totally right. Yashar Ali did a like a 15-tweet thing. I guess he was really good friends with him. But Beth Mandel is the one I'm going to cover because I think, you know, as we've been going down this list and, you know, rightly Matt in Oregon has, has brought some of the NRA videos to our attention with how the media does this stuff and it makes it almost worse. She did one for suicide. And I like to read it. This is irresponsible journalism will lead to more suicides. You do not report on the method. You do not put it in the headline. We know so much about how coverage can harm and yet nobody cares. The same goes for school shooters. Do we care more for clicks than lives? Apparently, it is so. This is a widespread phenomenon not unique to Fox. The research is conclusive. It's not necessary. 
The study results showed an association between detailed newspaper reports of the initial suicide in each cluster, including prominently placed headlines, description of the method used, and an increase in the number of suicides following the news coverage. She then continues, let me for a second speak to this from the kid's perspective. I asked the detective how my dad died. Details. There was some concern he might have been murdered and it was staged as a suicide. The detective asked my age, verified, and then told me, I don't regret asking because it was a valid concern, but I stopped sleeping. I would close my eyes and see it even though I never saw pictures. I would have panic attacks every night. I had to take sleeping pills for two years in order to function, and I was only 19 years old. Spade and Bourdain's girls are barely teenagers, and now this is the last image they have floating in their minds of their parents because the media felt it necessary to report on details. It's traumatic for the family. It leads to more deaths. There's no right or need to know. These are real people and real lives are at stake. These daughters face life trauma and the families of those idolized these suicides will never be the same there was a significant uptick in suicide post robin williams the media coverage contributed to it we all know research about how to and how to not cover suicide we all know suicides are up 25 percent since 1999 and all we are doing is putting wood into the fire the media needs to stop reporting on suicide so we're responsibly we need to stop clicking we need to tell them to stop when you see this kind of coverage, say something. Tweet the news organization accounts. Tweet the anchors. Tweet the writers. Tweet the editors. Write them emails and letters. Call them. And I think she's right. I truly do. I know for me, when Chris Cornell died and Chester Bennington, I did visualize them hanging themselves with a fitness band. And, and maybe we shouldn't. Then the next one came out. It was Krauthammer. In August of last year, I underwent surgery to remove a cancerous tumor in my abdomen. The operation was thought to have been a success, but it caused a cascade of secondary complications, which I've been fighting in hospitals ever since. It was a long and hard fight with many setbacks, but I was steadily, if slowly, overcoming each obstacle along the way and gradually making my way back to health. However, recent tests have revealed that the cancer has returned. There was no sign of it as recently as a month ago, which means it's aggressive and spreading rapidly. My doctors tell me their best estimate is that I have only a few weeks left to live. This is the final verdict. My fight is over. I leave this life with no regrets. It was a wonderful life, full and complete, with great loves and great endeavors that make it worth living. I am so sad to leave, but I leave with the knowledge that I lived the life that I intended. Of all people, Kristen Powers a piece of shit we've been pummeling for the last two podcasts, tweeted, Fox News just read a letter from Crowdarm saying he has only a few weeks to live because of aggressive cancer. He has been an amazing colleague and friend. He was brilliant, generous, kind, and an inspiration to everyone who met him. Keep him and his family in your prayers. And then that piece of fucking shit, the human feces, Oliver Willis comes in. Death doesn't make a very bad guy a good guy. Tweeted six anti-articles from Uber Lib sites. Conservatism, even when dressed up as grammatically correct Soto highbrow columns and TV spots, is still almost always about urinating on the less fortunate and crapping on minorities. Ben tweets them. Spitting on a man's grave before he's dead is a bad look. Oliver Willis. And all the graves he spit on? Yeah. 
Dan McLaughlin. You know, Oliver, I can't think of one single good thing to say about your career as a writer, but if you told us all you were dying of cancer, I'm pretty sure I'd just offer a brief word of sympathy and not use the occasion to crap on your life's work. Timmy Savage, 20 years from now, Krathammer will be read, reread, and probably studied for his wit and his laser intellect. No one will remember Oliver, the dogma-bound Twitter hack, and that's proof enough for me. But it wasn't the only one. Apparently, his idea was catching. Upon learning that the conservative legend and Dr. Charles Krauthammer is just a few weeks to live, self-described National Magazine award-winning ex-convict Barrett Brown thought it would be a good time to re-up a 2009 piece on Krauthammer that he wrote for Vanity Fair. Here's his tweet. Here's a summary I wrote for Vanity Fair, Crown Armor, ongoing failure from 98 on, to get a single thing right about the subject on which he was inexplicably deemed an expert. His impending death will make the world a safer, more competent place. Somebody tweeted back, this is an unbelievably cold-hearted thing to say. As someone that leans more towards the liberal side of things, I did respect his opinions without agreeing with them. Spiking the ball over someone's death is no way a garner a following for your ideas. Brown, don't want a following from ideas. I want people to understand the impact of our failures via vis-a-vis the millions we kill abroad and who set their priorities accordingly. And I hope that you die and your death will come soon. I follow your casket on a pale afternoon and I'll watch while you're lowered in your deathbed and I'll stand over your grave till I'm sure that you're dead. Bob Dylan. Yeah, Bob Dylan. So, for these sorry motherfuckers, and this is just the tip of the iceberg, there's tens of thousands of liberals who shit all over Krauthammer. You're a fucking asshole. Fuck you, asshole. You asshole. This is why we can't have nice things. You asshole! Are you just an asshole? Is that it? Fuck you, you asshole! You ever hear the saying, you run into an asshole in the morning, you ran into an asshole. You run into assholes all day, you're the asshole. Fuck you, asshole. You! You are such an asshole! You dumb asshole! Asshole. Fucking asshole! Away from me, you asshole. He's an asshole. So next to immigration, Erin Weiner. She was enslaved by Salvadorian guerrilla. U.S. judge says that makes her ineligible for asylum. Sounds bad, right? Mother Jones, D.C. bureau chief and NBC MSDNC talking head even called it deplorable, which is common response of this to any number of stories on Donald Trump. His tweet, deplorable. Somebody tweeted him back, and that's why I'm covering it. Yes, David, it's deplorable that an immigration judge who worked with Janet Reiner had a denial rate of only 4.7% in asylum cases, denied this woman request but allowed her to stay in the country. And it's also deplorable that Department of Homeland Security appealed Judge Brennan's 2016 ruling in an effort to port her. Remind us again who the deplorable president was in 2016. This whole case was under Obama. But they don't read. Reading is fundamental, but they don't. They just don't. Um, I, I just, I'm just going to move on. The immigration just pissing me off. You people are fucking morons. Then there was Melania. This is just, this is, should have been in the hypocrisy segment. AP politics. The first lady off, office said she'd undergone a procedure 
for benign kidney condition. But Trump says the first lady isn't traveling with them because she had a four-hour operation and doctors told her not to fly for a month. In the story, Trump said his wife had a big operation to treat a kidney condition that lasts close to four hours, but that the first lady is doing great, although she did not accompany him to Canada on Friday. Per a doctor's orders, Trump told reporters as he left the White House on Friday for G7 meeting in Quebec that Mr. Trump, Mrs. Trump wanted to join him at a usual annual summit of leading industrialized nations as she did last year, but that she can't fly for one month. First Lady's great right there, Trump said, pointing up to the White House from the driveway. And she wanted to go, can't fly for one month, the doctor says. She had a big operation that was a, close to a four-hour operation, and she's doing great right there. Trump's comments only added to the mystery surrounding his wife's recent hospitalization and nearly four weeks' absence from the public eye. Added to the mystery. We hate to break it to you, AP, but just because you and the MSM wish that Melania's absence is a mystery doesn't make it so. You people need to sit down before you hurt yourself. Alex Griswold. I don't understand the but there. Those don't conflict. Akiva Cohen. The First Lady's office said she had a surgery, but the President contends she had a surgery. How to resolve these irreconcilable differences. Check Cannon. Report. First Lady's office and Trump agree that Melania had a surgery. So even when they have the right story, they're still trying to make it a story. And they do it for everything. Here's the USA Today for the Fight for 15 clause that the liberals want so bad. McDonald's plans to add kiosks to thousands of stores nationwide to supplement in-store employees. That's false. They're not supplementing. They're replacing the front counter with kiosks. There'll be people making the food and handing the food over, but they won't be taking orders. And then, of course, we have the G7. Listen to this shit. Uh, again, the, the substance is important, trade, Russia membership. Uh, you mentioned this a bit earlier. The president's style, though, is also what rubs a lot of these other leaders the wrong way. They all have domestic political audiences, too. They can't snap their fingers and make their legislatures, their parliaments, uh, do what they want. Uh, the club is built on consensus. If you want to let Russia back in, uh, you, have, you bring that up in the private meeting, you test everybody out, you don't announce it on the South Lawn. If the host is giving a speech on women's empowerment, yeah. you show up on time. You don't walk into the middle of the meeting disrupting everything. That's what angers them. They think, frankly, a lot of this, if you read my emails yesterday, they think he's a jerk. Yeah. Uh, but, but just one last point here. I want to show you the cover of Time this week. Uh, the President of the United States, in his King Me moment, uh, he thinks he's right. He thinks he's right. We're watching the American delegation here arrive in, in Singapore. We're going to keep track of this. The plane is on the ground. There are a couple of planes with the American delegation. When the President pulls up to the tarmac and the planes, we will certainly talk about that. If I could have the time cover, I just want to show it uh, to our viewers as the plane tarmacs here. This is the President's mindset, is the King Me moment. Uh, is he, you know, look, as he frequently says, I'm President, you're not. Yeah. He thinks he's right. Right. Well, he has no grounding in American civic life. Okay, okay. I mean, like, I think before he came to the presidency, his entire connection to American politics was through the prism of donors coming to his office to ask him for money. He didn't understand. I mean, he wouldn't have known the Ways and Means Committee from a hole in the wall. It just wasn't his frame of reference, right? Out of our new tariffs he's imposed on steel and aluminum imports. Joining us now, one of the architects of that controversial plan, 
White House Trade Advisor Peter Navarro. Mr. Navarro, the summit ended with a nasty dust-up between President Trump and Canadian Prime Minister Trudeau. Uh, he held a news conference after the summit in which he said Canada will retaliate for, uh, for tariffs that the U.S. has imposed on Canadian aluminum and steel. Here is Trudeau. We move forward with retaliatory measures on July 1st, applying equivalent tariffs to the ones that the Americans have uh, unjustly applied to us. Canadians were polite, were reasonable, but we also will not be pushed around. Well, President Trump responded with this tweet while flying here on Air Force One to Singapore. Trudeau of Canada acted as meek, of so meek and mild during our G7 meetings, only to give a news conference after I left. Very dishonest and weak. Question, Mr. Navarro, is that really how we want to deal with our second biggest trading partner? Chris, there's a uh, special place in hell for any foreign leader that engages in bad faith diplomacy with President Donald J. Trump and then tries to stab him in the back on the way out the door. And that's what bad faith Justin Trudeau did with that stunt press conference. That's what weak, dishonest Justin Trudeau did. And that comes right from Air Force One. And I'll tell you this, to my friends in Canada, that was one of the worst political miscalculations of a Canadian leader in modern Canadian history. All Justin Trudeau had to do was take the win. President Trump did the courtesy to Justin Trudeau to travel up to Quebec for that summit. He had other things, bigger things on his plate in Singapore where you are now, Chris. He did him a favor and he was even willing to sign that socialist communique. And what did Trudeau did do as soon as, as soon as the plane took off from Canadian airspace? Trudeau stuck our president in the back. That will not stand. And as far as this retaliation goes, uh, the American press needs to do a much better job of what the Canadians are getting ready to do because it's nothing short of an attack on our political system and it's nothing short of Canada trying to raise its high protectionist barriers even higher on things like maple syrup and other goods. Mr. Navarro, I've got a lot to talk to you about, but I do have to press this. You use some very strong words. Uh, stab in the back, special place in hell. You said that that came from Air Force One. Are those the views? Are those the words of the president? Those are my Trudeau? words, but they're the sentiment uh, that was on Air Force One after that. Look, Chris, this was, this was just wrong, what, what Trudeau was doing. Uh, the, the Canadians are totally bundling uh, our trade relationships, and it's due to their leadership. For, take NAFTA, for example. We'd have a deal. We'd have a great deal with NAFTA by now if the Canadians would spend more time at the bargaining table and less time lobbying Capitol Hill and our press and state governments here. Uh, they, right. they are just simply not playing fair, dishonest, weak. This whole coverage literally is no different than North Korea. It's like they side for the other side. Andrea Mitchell, this is what she did prior to a meeting going to be held. White House announces Trump will leave G7 four hours earlier than scheduled before the end of the meeting, reflection of U.S. desire to spend minimum amount of time at hostile meeting with America's former friendliness allies. They played this thing with Trudeau and Merkel, which we'll get to, and 
you know, as the story goes, even though the meeting hadn't happened yet, Mitchell exclaimed that it was Trump's desire to spend as little time with America's former friendliest ally that accounted for his change of schedule. On Saturday, though, Fox News' Brian Kilmeade proposed another reason. Or, Andrea, he has to get to Singapore for an unprecedented summit with an emerging nuclear power who's founding member of the Axis of Evil. Kurt Schilster, liberals are really upset that America is governed by someone who doesn't want to kiss European ass. The New York Times then leads off calling Trump the black sheep. This year, there will not be many grins. Mr. Trump is the black sheep of this family, the estranged sibling who decided to pick fights with his relative just before arriving at dinner. The dispute, Larry Kudlow, the president's top economic advisor, acknowledges much like a family quarrel, but with the potential for vast diplomatic and economic consequences for the world. Kind of visceral and unanimous outrage. And an American president among the United States' most important allies, Mr. Trump has repeatedly poked his counterparts in the eye, ignored their pleas to remain a part of the Paris Climate Treaty, the Trans-Pacific Partnership Trade Pact, the Iran nuclear deal, and more recently by branding their steel and aluminum industries threats to national security and therefore subject to tariffs, the president can expect a sub-zero reception for what some observers have begun calling the G6 plus one, a reference to the political and diplomatic isolation that Mr. Trump has created for himself with his unilateral trade and security actions against his friends. They care more about other leaders than ours. Then they're guessing about the Chadrow meeting. Clues to how the meeting in Canada have gone may be found in the body language of Mr. Trump and his counterparts as they pose for pictures before and after their session, which then brings in this bullshit. David Mack. This is a, this is an Instagram account of another leader. And our American media went with this like crazy. Angela Merkel's office has released this photo taken today at the G7, which tells you a lot about how things went. Merkel's team uploaded this to her Instagram, describing it only as a spontaneous meeting between two working sessions. I broke down the photo for BuzzFeed. This incredible photo of Trump surrounded by G7 leaders is like a Renaissance painting. What did the left say? We are all Angela Merkel. Another one, the woman leader of a free world telling Trump how it is. Awesome photo. Is this a painting that, what would it be named? Patricia Arquette. The last stupid one. Another one, the resistance. Then Tommy Vitor, allies, shows a picture of them watching a soccer match at Obama's last G7 where he's hanging out with everyone. Somebody else did a nice tweet, and his name was Stephen Miller. Obama administration spied on German media government during G7. Do we remember that? Spied on the phones? The media after G7 was so enameled with the Merkel, uh, Chris Saliza did a complete breakdown that I couldn't get the soundbite. But they loved this photo. They were so happy it made Trump look bad. And here's just a taste. German Chancellor Angela Merkel's office posted this photo from the Group of Seven meeting in Canada on June 9th. Almost instantly, the image went viral. 
Memes of the photo took over the internet as people drew comparisons to Norman Rockwell paintings and Renaissance art. For some, the photo perfectly captured Trump's isolationist view. Others might see the photo as Trump showing foreign allies who's boss. A number of other photos show the meeting from different perspectives. Trump withdrew from the G7 joint statement after Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau publicly criticized Trump's policies on trade. Canadians were polite, were reasonable, but we also will not be pushed around. Take a look at some of the pictures that may also help tell the story of exactly what kind of relationship the U.S. president has with the other members of the G7. Here's a picture taken by the U.S. This was tweeted out by White House aide Dan Scavino. You can see Trump there seated, all the world leaders huddled around him. Well, here's how Germany framed the exact same moment. This was tweeted by Chancellor Angela Merkel's press secretary. And in this one, you can see Merkel leaning across the table. Here's how Canada spun it. Again, the same moment, different angle, different country. In this one, it's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, not Trump, who looks like he's overseeing discussions. Let's bring back our panel. I want to get your take, Ron Brownstein, on what you see when you look at those pictures. Uh, I'm going with Merkel. Uh, I think that is the more accurate reflection of kind of where we are in the world right now, where, uh, you know, there was a report this week that Germany, uh, the German government for the first time feels that it has to develop a kind of a strategy for dealing with a fundamentally hostile uh, U.S. Uh, you know, one thing that happened around the edges of this was the president celebrating the new Italian government, which is a populist, nativist, uh, right-wing, anti-migrant uh, government. You've had the, Ger the new German ambassador uh, from the Trump administration talking about promoting kind of populist, uh, nativist mm -hmm. parties uh, across uh, across Europe. I mean, this is an inflection point, you know, uh, and uh, it is likely to get worse before it gets better. I mean, if you go down the list, as we said, you, you start with the, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Uh, the, the Paris Climate Accord, the Iran Agreement, NAFTA after this weekend, uh, you know, the, the, the idea of a swift renegotiation of the North American Free Trade Agreement seems pretty uh, unlikely. And you do wonder what is the breaking point for congressional Republicans. I mean, they have generally, uh, as we talked about mm -hmm. over these 18 months, become more deferential to the president. But one area where you're seeing more probably geysers of discontent than any other is trade, because so many key constituencies in the Republican coalition are uneasy with the prospect of trade wars, not only kind of the Chamber of Commerce, but also the farmer and the rural interests that are the absolute backstop, the, the firewall for Republicans in the midterm election. So whether that gets more intense, Bob Corker is trying to overturn some of this. Mitch McConnell says, no, we don't want to challenge the president. Can they hold that line? I don't know. Can it be the U.S. against the world, Michelle? Uh, I mean, how, how to answer that? It, it's a place that generally a nation would not want to be, especially when there are so many crises either in effect or looming. Um, you need cooperation on a lot of things, and the U.S. has found this in the past. The U.S. needed a lot of cooperation to get the Iran nuclear deal, remember? Um, Obama needed that. He needed a lot of cooperation to fight ISIS, which is now becoming a success. Uh, the U.S. will need continued cooperation on that. The U.S. needs needed cooperation and continues to need cooperation in putting pressure on North Korea. That's another particularly difficult one. The U.S. will need cooperation um, in, in fighting the influence of China um, and, and the aggressive tendencies of Russia. But in this case, even today, we saw Trump... Um, 
carrying, seemingly carrying water for Vladimir Putin. So I feel like, you know, we, we all know Trump's strategy to break down the old um, sort of structures of how things are done, um, to think outside the box and do things that are daring and bold and America first. And there's a possibility that he'll get some successes on that. I mean, maybe he's about to get the big success, which will be ultimately denuclearizing North Korea. We just don't know what the outcome is. But when you look at the economy and in the near term, getting into these potential trade wars with close U.S. allies and alienating them when you might well need their cooperation down the road and to get a good deal yourself, you're likely going to need cooperation on that. That's why there's a lot of worry, and that's why you are getting pushback from Republicans and from the U.S. Chamber right. of Commerce and groups that are seriously worried that... You know, even though he's trying things out and he's talking big and he's putting threats out there that might not all come true, um, there's still a real risk of, of having it come back and bite you, maybe in ways you don't necessarily expect. Kimberly, quickly, if you will, I just think about the U.S. credibility going into this negotiation in Singapore with the leader of North Korea. And in one day, the president says the relationships are fantastic after he had been on the attack on Twitter before going to the summit. And then he's back on the attack, throwing insults out to American allies. Does American and the president's credibility and the ability to trust he says he's going to do what he says he's going to do matter in this going into the North Korean negotiation? Well, for the North Korean negotiations to succeed, he's going to need other nations at the other end of that to help back up whatever he's able to secure. He's going to need other nations for increasing sanctions on a number of bad actors, including Iran. And what he's unfortunately encouraging in the international order is for other relationships to form. Um, between European nations, between other Western nations, and also even some nations reaching out to China and even Russia as alternates to the United States. Those new relationships may well remain um, even when the U.S. gets friendlier. The problem is Matt Dawson tweeted the photo taken after Merkel's photo. What a difference a second makes, and the honest question that we know the answer to. Which of the two photos would the media have published if it was Obama and Hillary? The next photo taken is her and Trump smiling at each other and everybody else laughing because Trump said something funny. But that's not what they put out there. Cheryl Atkinson, all the city silly analysis and conjecture based on a single G7 photo snapped of Trump and Merkel. This was also snapped, but not used by many. Probably best not to make too much of any single photo to the media chooses to publicize if you're looking for the truth. And what truth? Derek tweets, allies, a picture of Obama with Farrakhan. And I think that sums up our media. You're always, I've said it on the show when I went into bias and I broke down bias and 
how I interpret bias. And I interpret bias, bias with things like this. You never see a positive photo of Trump. He's never smiling. It's grimacing. They always publish the pictures of adversarial stuff with foreign leaders. If a photo or image gets out like they did with Kim Jong-un, they dog it all day and try to make you, oh, don't look at that. This is really what's happening. Don't look over there. And the subtle biases to eventually make you think Trump is horrible. No accomplishments. And then you look at Obama. Every photo was perfect. He was godlike. He was scandal-free. Look at all his accomplishments, even though there are none. They've all been stripped away because he didn't use the Congress. Yeah. Josh Kaplan tweeted after this one was released, Twitter, after all the pressure, finally removed the blue check from Farrakhan. Yeah. People tweeting to the Allies photo that was also viral for the left. So the point of this is to show that world leaders get along better while watching an international sporting event that they do during economic talks. Stop the presses. This is breaking news. Matthew Cold. It's tough to tell who is easier target to dunk on. Bro of all bros, Vitor, the guy who was going out with the Allies, or storyteller, Ben Rhodes. And to clarify, my distaste of them is not to be read as an endorsement of Trump. I'm fully capable of disliking both. Michael Solkick. Back when the United States is the leader of the free world. And it shows a picture of Merkel and Obama toasting each other. Because they got on all board on this. They just got all on board. Back when he said, transmit to Vlad, I'll have more flexibility after the election, and gave pallets of cash to state sponsor of terrorism, who also facilitated the 9-11 attacks. I also recall Obama spying on Merkel, and she exploded about it. But hey, President, no, no scandal could do no wrong. Another one. Leading from behind, he appeared to everyone but Americans, whom he despised. And just what was the net benefit of Obama rolling over for every world leader? What was it this country got from this arrangement? ISIS would be my answer. Mm-hmm. Another one. Is this the apology tour or the bowing and scraping tour? Nicholas Kristoff went to New York Times. You know what's embarrassing feeling when your toddler has a tantrum in public and you have to apologize to neighbors? Americans feel that way. Our toddlers have just had a tantrum at the G7 summit. Sorry, Canada, Germany, France, UK, Japan. That's what he actually put in an article. You know what's embarrassing, somebody tweeted? Feeling when your angry, emo teenagers keep muttering, I hate you, Dad, while he hands $150 billion to world's largest state sponsor of terrorism. Molly sums it up. That the elite continue to claim to speak for the people or advocate for their interest after a series of dramatic objective rebukes fascinates me. Rob Eno and the millions of Americans who had seen their livelihoods and income slide under the G7 regime, who voted for Trump, are cheering wildly. The beltway set just doesn't understand real Americans. So Jim Acosta in the media was also fixated on the Trudeau, because Trudeau pissed off Trump by having a private meeting, agreeing to terms, and then going on and bashing Trump. So Trump pulled out of that. And I say good for him. 
Scoop. When Trudeau pressed Trump on national security justification for tariffs on Canada, Trump responded, didn't you guys burn down the White House? That was Britain during the World War of 1812. This is what Acosta says. The entire world showed him he knows nothing as we know. Um, sorry, Jim, but Trump was right. As Jeer here of the New Republic acknowledged shortly after you demonstrated your lack of historical knowledge, of course, being a liberal publication that couldn't quite bring themselves to flat out say Trump was right, but they came as close as their liberal resistance souls would permit them. Trump is not entirely wrong about the War of 1812. Yeah, he was right. Canada burned it down. Canadians came on. Troll collector. See, I'm not making this shit up. My dad is Canadian, has been saying Canada burned it down for decades. I think there's even a song about it. And my favorite part that came out of this, Tim Young. Justin Trudeau wears fake eyebrows that fell off after he met Trump at G7. So it went viral, him missing an eyebrow, and somebody said, Art of the Deal, Chapter 19. Browbeating. <laughs> Mike, just your nose left eyebrow detached after meeting Trump. So what? These days, who doesn't wear fake eyebrows? Who does? And then somebody tweeted the best thing of this whole fucking, I keep saying the best, but they keep on coming. Next on CNN, how Donald Trump is responsible for, Do, for, Do, for Trudeau's falling eyebrow and what it could mean with regards to the United States policy with Canada on trade and whether tariffs will be implemented. This morning, CNN was downplaying the whole thing with North Korea and still talking about Trudeau. They love Trudeau so much. Trudeau is a leader they want. And it just disgusts me watching our media root for every other country other than ours. It's just fucking sad. So that's our fire for effect. Let's take a music break. We'll come into tweets of the day. Listen up, everybody. Tony Billy Boy has been in prison for 25 years. He's only been out for this. The last time you were a free man, the Brooklyn Dodgers were still the Brooklyn Dodgers, and Eisenhower was your president. Laura, Amanda's intrigued with Billy Boy. Billy Boy, ask Amanda for a date. We could go to the Paramount, maybe. There is no more Brooklyn Paramount. It's been taken over by some college. Or the Albi. That's gone too. You're a regular one. You've been doing you inside my mind. You can't and in my dreams I've kissed your lips a thousand. It's been a long time since I've been on a date. I sometimes see you pass outside my door. Hello. Smile. You're all there. 
Back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed.
some Lionel Richie. This today's our 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 artist of the day. Saw it on the Goldbergs. I watch repeats of the Goldbergs. Um, it's not on ABC, so I can do it. So to our tweets of the day, the DNC and members of Congress are turning to Hollywood for help to, for with voter turnout ahead of the midterm elections in 2020 presidential campaign from Politico, the mouthpiece of the DNC. The DNC and members of Congress are turning to Hollywood to help with voter turnout message ahead of the midterm elections of 2020 presidential campaign, quietly consulting with a group of actors, writers, and producers here. The group conducts conference calls, shares an email list, and has met about five times since September. Littman said it involves about 35 members, including producers, showrunners, executives, directors, and animator actors such as Rose Marie DeWitt, Ron Livington, Jason George, Alyssa Milano, and Helen Hunt. And I say, good for you. Keep going that way, because in the end, it will get you what you got. Because that was great concerts and uh, LeBron James at the very end. They sure took her over the edge, didn't they? Yeah. Wow. I have a tweet screed of Alyssa Milano. Uh, 15 irrational, stupid tweets about local liberal municipalities and their guns, because she's just obsessed. I'm not going to read them. I'll just read Harry Gatto. Alyssa, gun sales are off the charts, and NRA has a million more members, thanks to your attempts to grab guns. Thank you! (laughs) And our tweet of the day comes from Neon Taser. Oliver Willis, who's just a hateful person, as we saw with Krautheimer. This is what he tweets, and I, you know, once again, I put it in the tweets of the day, not hate, because this, to me, at least Oliver Willis is honest. He's honest, because this is what liberals really think. People on the left need to get it through their skulls. We're opposing evil. It's not just a set of polite ideas to be calmly debated. It's evil. And he was referencing conservatives. conservatives. So Neon Taser. We're posing evil here, people. We don't have time for stuff like not shitting on people who are dying of cancer. We're opposing evil. And he's right. So Oliver Willis, you're our tweet of the day because at least you keep it reals. You hate white people and you hate everybody in the United States who doesn't agree with you. Like the, I feel like the bottom has to fall out at some point. And by the way, I'm hoping for it because I think one way you get rid of Trump is a crashing economy. Yeah. So please bring on the recession. Yeah. Sorry if that hurts people, but it's either root for a recession or you lose your democracy. Hip hip hooray! Unemployment is down. What does that mean to me in my life? I need a bigger paycheck. This isn't just about the unemployment rate. It's about raise, uh, wages rising in our country uh, so that consumer confidence is restored. Our co- economy will never fully reach some uh, possibilities unless we increase the consumer confidence. There you go. Not only does a comedian root for American failure, so does Nancy Pelosi. Every time positive economic news comes out, she gets up there and talks about crumbs or something, trying to spin it, and it's fucking embarrassing. 
Just a fucking embarrassing. Holy shit, man. I mean, god damn. People hated Obama, but seriously, your hate is crazy. Uh, Marley, Molly Hemingway appears some of the more extreme members of the resistance of media and politics are struggling to cope with failure of gloom, doom predictions. Openly hoping for bad things to happen to a country to feel vindicated, unhealthy. World peace would bring doom and gloom to the Dems. Trump would be unbeatable. And that's what they're upset about. Katie Palvich, unhealthy, also anti-American. And that's what they are. Rooting for a recession. Then there's this unhealthy shit. CEO Jack Dorsey is under fire for committing a cardinal sin of enjoying Chick-fil-A. Yeah. He boosted a Chick-fil-A boost. The article goes, what was this monster thinking? Geek girl diva. Some days I wonder what bubble Jack lives in. Another one. On behalf of the whole LGBTQ community, Jack, kindly boost your head out of your ass. Soledan O'Brien. This is an interesting company to boost during Pride Month. You're right. Completely forgot about their background. And Jerry Dunleavy brings the hurt to Soledad O'Brien. First, hey, Soledad and Jack, since we're talking about Chick-fil-A's background, I'm reminded of the response following the Orlando Pulse nightclub in June 2016 when the reverse company policy and opened on a Sunday to cook food for blood donors. And, you know, they're a Christian organization. And then Just L says, and when the Atlanta airport lost power, didn't hear anything about any gay travelers not being offered a sandwich. But Soledad was then reminded by Jerry Dunleavy. Very interesting. She forgot this. Amazing. More on the Chick-fil-A sponsored event, which was broadcast across the country. Community business leaders can access the knowledge and experience of the internationally acclaimed leaders by attending the 2012 Chick-fil-A LeaderCast. The choice you make to find the leader you become at the University of Texas at Austin, May 4th, 2012. NFL quarterback Tim Tebow, author John Maxwell, and CNN anchor Soledad O'Brien. She spoke at one. Needs to say... She ran away from it. Then there's this hate tweet. I only put it in here because I fucking hate this little fuck twad. Elizabeth Herriting. Ben Rose on MSDNC just said how important it is to make sure you get inspections in any nuclear deal. Oh, really? Because every week I, I could have done another article about how Iran saying fuck you and they're making goddamn nukes. Hmm. Okay. Uma Thurman, look into my eyes and tell me what's on your mind. Joshua Flores, some rando, made the problem of saying this. So standing in front of a light to blind yourself makes you look prettier. Go stand in front of a book and get smarter. She brought the hurt and talked about her GPA and ended it with kindly fuck off. Why would you do that, dude? Then there's this one. Socialist director David Simon Brought his classic writing style to political commentary by telling Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey, Die of boils, Jack. Die of boils. Hmm. I don't understand liberals. Hmm. The next was Sean Illing. 
There's a special place in hell for the person who thinks that America is a republic, not a democracy. Distinction matter. Fucking at all. And the entire world said, listen, dickhead, we're a republic. We're not a democracy. But I put it in the hate tweets because my favorite is this one by Zoc C4SB4H. I have no fucking idea what that's supposed to be. Democracy is two wolves and a sheep deciding what's for dinner. A republic is two wolves and a sheep deciding what's for dinner, but having an unchangeable law in place that they can't eat each other. And he closed with this. You don't even understand civics, bro. No wonder you write for Vox. He then unearthed Sean Illing's bullshit. Two real reasons we have an electoral college to protect slave states. And his repealing the electoral college after the election. So, of course, that's why he doesn't want to say we're a republic. Then our super hate is Robert De Niro. Once again, he went to the Tonys this week. Couldn't get a lot of Tonys talk. There wasn't a lot of sound bites because I don't think anybody even fucking watches it. But this fuckhead who's gone off on Trump and said horrible things, these people who you pay money when you go see their shit and listen to their crap, they gave this fuckhead a standing ovation. So once again, I want you to know these are the people that do your entertainment and they fucking hate you. One thing that's surprising about Harry Potter is that even though it doesn't, it's not as overtly political, like something like Angels America, I sort of feel like there are moments in it, there are things that happen with he who may not, who must not be named that have real resonance today, in particularly in America. Are you aware of that? Do you feel that? I, I really do believe that that's why this is resonating a lot at the moment. London when it started, beautiful, and there was a moment when, okay, this is the story we're telling, but now two to three years later since we've opened in London to be here, you go, actually this story's getting deeper and deeper and deeper, and we as all, us human beings, are all fighting to be connected, but especially to be seen. If you're not seen, not heard, that's where dangerous stuff happens. That's where people under the radar do very cruel things, and that's what this play is about, and it's about bringing things out, letting your light shine. This is what JK has always been about, let the darkness out into the light. And that's why I'm very proud to be here telling the story right now, because as you intimate, those things are very important. Should the president come see the Harry Potter, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child? No. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Robert De Niro. It's no longer. Now I'll get to this my introduction. I I didn't care for the choice of language. I know it was bleeped out, but once I, I heard about it, I, I don't know. I, I, I thought it was a, a bit crass. But people are feeling strongly about politics today, you know, and and I think rightfully so. And if that is the way 
De Niro um, chose to express that, and that is the way the crowd chose to receive it. I mean, this is still America. You get to say what you want to say. It's, you know, it's constitutional. And so I, I, uh, I appreciate it that, that he felt strongly enough to make that statement. The low light of the evening brought to you by Robert De Niro. Uh, and uh, we will not actually play that clip, even with a seven-second delay. And like De Niro, the Parkland. if people that applauded De Niro's statement last night don't understand that they are helping Donald Trump's re-election every time they do something if, like that, then they don't understand. If You'll notice his comments were deleted. He dropped the F-bomb saying F-Trump twice. And that, of course, comes a week after late night host Samantha Bee used an expletive against Ivanka Trump. And it's not just crude language. I want to share what Bill Maher suggested on his show last Friday. This economy is going pretty well. I feel like the bottom has to fall out at some point. And by the way, I'm hoping for it because I think one way you get rid of Trump is a crashing economy. So please bring on the recession. Please bring on the recession is what Bill Maher said. Back with me, Elise Jordan and Mark Thompson. Um, Elise. Walk me through this because, does, to me, this I understand the frustration and outrage around the president. I'm sure I shout some of those words in the shower. But when you think about what Americans care about, they care about the economy, they care about health care, they care about issues. And many of them believe, wh whether he is or isn't, that he's delivering for them. So when you see celebrities say, I hope the economy bottoms out to get rid of Trump, I think that helps Trump. A standing ovation, a standing ovation for Robert De Niro. That pretty much sums up Hollywood, and it'll take us into our hypocrisy. Hypocrisy! Yes, sir, go ahead. As you were heading into these seven talks, there was a sense that uh, the America's closest allies were frustrated with you and angry with you, and that you were angry with them, and that you were leaving here early to go meet for more friendlier talks with Kim Jong-un in Singapore. And I'm wondering if you, if you view it the same way, and do you view the U.S. alliance system shifting under your presidency yeah. away Who are you with out of curiosity? CNN. I figured fake news, CNN. The worst. Uh, but, you know, I could tell by the question. I have no idea you were CNN after the question. I was just curious as to who you're with. You were CNN. Uh, I would say that the level of relationship is a 10. We have a great relationship. Angela and uh, Emmanuel and Justin. I would say relationship is a 10. And I don't blame them. I blame, as I said, I blame our past leaders for allowing this to happen. There was no reason this should happen. There's no reason that we should have big trade deficits with virtually every country in the world. I'm going long beyond the G7. There's no reason for this. It's the fault of the people that preceded me. And I'm not just saying President Obama. I'm going back a long way. 
You can go back 50 years, frankly. It just got worse and worse and worse. You know, we used to be a nation that was unbelievably cash flow oriented, had no debt of any consequence. And they'd build the highway system. We built the intern, you know, the interstate system out of virtually out of cash flow. And it was it was a lot different. No, we have a very good relationship and I don't blame these people, but I will blame them if they don't act smart and do what they have to do because they have no choice. I'll be honest with you. They have no choice. They're either going to make the trades fair because our farmers have been hurt. You look at our farmers for 15 years. the, The graph is going just like this down. Our farmers have been hurt. Our workers have been hurt. Our companies have moved out and moved to Mexico and other countries, including Canada. Now, we are going to fix that situation. And if it's not fixed, we're not going to deal with these guys. But the relationship that I've had is great. So you can tell that to your fake friends at CNN. The relationship that I've had with uh, the people, the leaders of these countries has been I would really rate it on a scale of zero to ten. I would rate it a ten. That doesn't mean I agree with what they're doing, and they know very well that I don't. So we're negotiating very hard tariffs and barriers. As an example, the European Union is brutal to the United States. They don't take, and they understand that. They know it. They, when I'm telling them, they're smiling at me. You know, it's like the the gig is up. It's like the gig is up. They're not trying to. There's nothing they can say. They can't believe they got away with it. Canada can't believe it got away with it. Mexico. We have a $100 billion trade deficit with Mexico. And that doesn't include all the drugs that are pouring in because we know wall. But we are. We started building the wall, as you know. $1.6 billion, and we're going to keep that going. But a lot of these countries actually smile at me when I'm talking. And the smile is... We couldn't believe we got away with it. That's the smile. So it's going to change. It's going to change. They have no choice. If it's not going to change. I love it when Trump bashes them. Bashes CNN. So we start off with Sports SB Nation rips sham pro-American rally. This is what they wrote. The present outlook was that the Star Spangled Banner must be honored in America to stand for the White American original song. White America's original song. Presidential decree, especially in the edge of Trumpian authoritarianism, has to be respected. The president wanted to unnecessary gloat and put forth a mandate national thinking after singing to God and have him bless America. He, sorry, I had a page freeze to see. He wanted to tout his steady dis- dismissal of the beautiful black protest that has overtaken this land, such as flaunt can only be seen as laughable, and our basketball and football stars are being pitted against Americans. In the middle, there's a president using the best of his policy and political wherewithal to attack their might. Make America less safe again because of all the black people just being beaten and lynched in the streets. Throughout the annal of history, there has never been a world leader who has had hoop dreams like Barack Obama. His basketball skills enhance his legend. But Trump ain't got the game. His White House feels cold and aggressive and devoid of anything harboring black joy. Trump will always attack black athletes because they pose a threat to his form of white power. To strike back to scold many believes to be uppity and selfish is to reassure his base. Or it could be just he likes to respect the flag like the rest of America. 
Hmm. 70% of America agree with what the NFL did. It's just you racists that don't. And other racists, Keith Ellison, he's going to run for Attorney General of the state of Minnesota. And his replacement, this is their tweet. Israel has hypnotized the world. May Allah awaken the people and help them see the evil doings of Israel. Hmm. Another radical Muslim. She's a female. That's interesting. Report, a raging Joy Reid allegedly threatened violence against superiors. In the article, the MSDNC star Joy Reid physically threatened a senior colleague, accused a Republican politician of being gay on air, and often referred to her hateful blog during a short-lived stint as a radio show co-host more than a decade ago. It was a very unhealthy work environment because of her attitude. She attacked me on a constant basis while I was there. I even once threatened with physical violence during a break with her. According to the report, Reed and Eggleton were arguing over something he wanted to cover on the show when she did not. There was a dispute over it, and I told her, go ahead and call the manager, he recalled. And by his recollection, Reed allegedly responded with, if you ever speak to me like that again, I'm coming over there, and it's going to be me and you. McAlonis corroborated the account with Michael Lee, or Lee Michael, excuse me, the then national program director for the network of stations Reed was part of. Michaels told Fox News that he had to talk to Eagleton out of quitting because working with her was so miserable. She did call Charlie Chris Miss Charlie on air. Her demeanor inside the radio station complimented what was on the blog, mean-spirited, very edgy, negative personality in her writing. But following Fox News' contract with the channel, a number of other former colleagues of the radio station put out statements vouching for Reed's professional conduct. When asked for any specific examples, Grant indicated that she hasn't, wasn't actually aware who the individuals were and instead asked Fox News for their names. Michael Onis also noted that he received an unsolicited statement from someone named Wanjira Banfield sticking up for Reed. Banfield had a career connection to MSDNC and didn't respond to an email asking what prompted her to contact Fox News. Everybody's trying to cover for her. And this New York Times reporter saying the N-word, trashing U.S. soldiers, pushing anti-Semitism. Back in October, the New York Times issued a new set of social media guidelines for reporters. Among other things, social media posts are journalists must not express partisan opinions, promote political views, endorse candidates, make offensive comments. Well, they blow that all the time. And thanks to the wonders of social media, we can now suss out that there are three reporters who probably aren't going to have a great week dealing with their editors and HR, all thanks to their previous tweets. According to the Daily Caller, screenshots of the Twitter accounts of three times reporter show them using the N-word, pushing anti-Semitic theories, and trashing American soldiers. It's really hard to tell which of these is the most serious, but at least two of them contain offensive remarks and one contain a racial slur. We'll start with Jugal Patel, a New York Times reporter who was spotted tweeting out, Fuck the military in 2012. How exactly does the military directly defend whatever freedom I have? He wasn't the only Times reporter to tweet out an obscenity either. Also in 2012, Sapina Mashwari tweeted this gem. Ordering fish fillet will never be the same. Fish fillets that cray, trag, frenzy, happy Friday, niggas in Paris. It's worth noting in a song from the Watch the Throne collaboration album on Jay-Z and Kanye West, that's shit's cray cray. Meanwhile, is how terminally unhip 30-somethings trying to sound hip. That sort of thing is crazy in the matter in which rappers did quite a long time ago. 
Manchwari is currently covering advertising for Times, while the New York Times Afghanistan reporter Fahim Abded didn't tweet out anything with nothing stir. He did decide twice to post a link to an anti-Semitic conspiracy theories that claimed that Islamic State group leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi was trained by Israel's Massoud. Yeah. The Mossad, excuse me. That's your New York Times. CNN Ryan Lizza, an American president attacking American reporters is always awful, but doing it on foreign soil is especially disgusting. Fossbone. I remember when Obama was attacking and apologizing on behalf of America while out of country, journalists lapped it up with a spoon. And he's right. NBC News tips back into the conspiracy theory that is global warming, climate change, global cooling. Allergy explosions across much of the country linked to climate change. Warmer the weather weather may be one reason why. Rising temperatures, changes in worldwide weather patterns, and increased airborne pollen levels for a longer period of time can affect the healthy. For those with a family history of allergies, the result is more intense allergic, allergic reactions, according to a recent released report by the Academy of Science. Hmm. Conservative in L.A. says it for me. Stop. Just stop. So we're going to play two sound bites now. First one's going to be our media mash. Hillary Hannity, excuse me, saying sarcastic statement. MSDNC freaking out over it. And then our second media mash is Brzezinski saying horrible things about POTUS. Missing porn. And Hannity dogging her for saying it. Rightly so everyone's cell phones my advice to them not really kidding bad advice would be follow hillary's you know lead yeah, well he, he delete him acid wash him bust them up take out the sim cards and say here little pieces here mr Mueller. here i'm following hillary's when lead clinton and her associates did that they were obstructing justice and minute, what is inexplicable right. is that the fbi uh, gave immunity to at least five different Clinton people in exchange for what? You don't give immunity to and somebody for nothing. they get to keep their devices? They get to keep their devices. Those devices that the FBI obtained, some of them they never looked at. The others had nothing on them. Yeah, that's And amazing. Sean, this is a tactic. This is a tactic of Mueller. He's shaking the trees. He's making people off. nervous. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Crack it up and have a little piece and say, here, Mr. Mueller, courtesy of Hillary. Uh, all right. That's why I bust my cell phone every day. Can't wait for the book. Use bleach bit, remove the SIM cards, and then take the pieces and hand it over to Robert Mueller and say, Hillary Rodham Clinton, this is equal justice under the law. Joyce. Kennedy seems to be well-versed in how to wipe out a phone, so I guess if I were Bob Mueller, I might have some, some questions for him about what he's been doing to his own devices. Uh, but look, this is reprehensible conduct. No responsible person on television, no responsible so-called journalist should be advocating for people to destroy evidence in a serious federal investigation. It's reprehensible. It is sadly more of what we've come to expect from the people that this president surrounds himself with. One would hope that Fox would perhaps uh, uh, impose some sanctions on Hannity for this conduct. Mika. You and I both know Ivanka Trump. Ivanka Trump has raised her hand as the champion for women in this White House. Stormy Daniels, how you feel about her career choice is neither here nor there. She didn't commit a crime. She 
supported herself, she supported her child. Do you wonder where Ivanka's voice is here? I do. It's a fact, by the way, that Stormy Daniels got the payment. Uh, through Michael Cohen from Donald Trump, uh, which he lied about at first. I, I wonder where Ivanka's voice is on a number of issues. But back to the Rudy story, I'll tell you a couple of things. Uh, first of all, the hypocrisy is astounding because I know someone who spoke to Donald Trump recently about life in the White House, and Donald Trump's biggest complaint was that he's not allowed to watch porn in the White House. <laughs> So there you go. There's a little bit of news for you. He's upset that he can't watch porn in the White House. Um, I bet they have those, you know, 1-900 numbers blocked, too, which must be a disappointment. Um, I'm not really sure, but that's it just sort of flies in the face of all of Over there, Conspiracy TV, MSNBC. There you go, Liberal Joe and Mika. They can't help themselves. Now, usually Mika spends her mornings pushing untrue, absurd theories about the president's mental health uh, with, of course, Joe Scarborough, who's now the liberal. But today, she actually ventured out on her own and floated this insane rumor. I'll tell you a couple of things. Uh, first of all, the hypocrisy is astounding because I know someone who spoke to Donald Trump recently about life in the White House, and Donald Trump's biggest complaint was that he's not allowed to watch porn in the White House. So there you go. There's a little bit of news for you. He's upset that he can't watch porn in the White House. Um, I bet they have those, you know, 1-900 numbers blocked, too, which must be a disappointment. Um, I'm not really sure, but that's it just sort of flies in the face of all of this. Andy Lack, are you proud of that? Is this what is so-called news over there, 30 Rock? This is so insane, honestly, I can't even bother. We then have our Bias 101, Mojo and McCaskill. I can't tell you how many times I have witnessed them softballing McCaskill. And then Mojo going on a full-fledged Trump is asinine and other demeaning content comments. And I, I question anybody that watches this show. You would never allow this under Obama. I'm just going to launch uh, and ask you to comment if you could, or respond uh, to something Rudy Giuliani said um, about Stormy Daniels. Rudy Giuliani uh, st stands by his statements and refuses to withdraw them. Uh, what do you think of what he said? How does anything actually move forward for this country, for the people of your state, in an atmosphere like this, which is breaking down the foundations that we were built on, that this country is supported by? You hear people say things like impeachment very often? Why is it more being done? Why isn't there more of a sense of urgency about Puerto Rico? He is seemingly just resigning. Is that enough of a penalty for this kind of conduct? All right, Claire. So finally, I'd be remiss if we didn't finish this interview by asking about the St. Louis Cardinals. Three and a half games out. Uh, the Brewers have slowed down a little bit. How does it look almost halfway through the campaign? Melania Trump makes an appearance uh, after a long absence, and the president has some interesting tweets about that. My God. Interesting would be he was horrified at the thought that people were wondering. And interesting would be one word. And Joe Scarborough had an interesting repost. I liked it. We all did. Yeah. I thought it was brass on Heilman. It was, it was just shocking. I mean, Donald Trump is correct. I yeah. mean, John, who in the world would be so cruel, so hateful? Right. It would be so so despicable. Who would be so utterly lacking in character? Right. No to one. To, 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 
to make something up about someone having a facelift for the sole purposes of trying to damage or humiliate them. I just, I know that, I mean, it's nice to finally be able to agree with the president, this guy that I've known for over 10, 11, 12 years, to... He's in the White House, and I finally, there, he says something I agree with. Yes, you would have to be utterly uh, despicable, right. uh, a classless man, yeah. uh, to, to say that about a woman. Total scumbag. It'd be, you have to be just grotesque. You, you, <laughs> I mean, you have to be the most I, I, repulsive, I'm enjoying this. disgraceful, I, I ridiculous, agree. asinine person in the world. We then have our second bias 101. This one is a new theme the media is doing. How cable ratings are going down. Instead of it being what it is, the people are sick of them and they're just silly Trump bashing that is just so childish now. It's on, you know, where's Waldo, Melania? I mean, all the stuff they've been doing. No, it's you. You have media fatigue. And here are two uber liberals, Brian Seltzer, and David Frum, who are part of the problem why people are turning off their TVs. This literally, literally, was a segment on CNN. And I, and I gotta, I gotta say, it, it sums up the elitism that we have in our media that when you don't like what they're dishing out, it's your fault because you're the racist, sexist, misogynist, fucking homophobe, transphobe, or xenophobe, or you're just stupid. You know, to your very first question about news fatigue, if your child is feverishly ill, um, it can be very fatiguing to sit by her bedside and take care of her. But it's what you do because that's your duty and that's, I think, your, your, respons your responsibility and it's also a source of satisfaction to you. If your country is ill, you have the same responsibility. Um, you know, there, there may be things that newsrooms can do differently or better to help people keep better track of the stories. But it's also your responsibility as a citizen. And you can't put your responsibilities on the press and say, why don't you make this easier for me or more entertaining? Mm. Why don't you make the news less frightening than it really is? Um, mm. I, I would, I would like a, I would like a different truth, please. Um, the job of the press is to tell you the truth as it is, whether it's good news or not. And then it's your responsibility as a patriot and as a citizen to accept it and to internalize it and to act on it. You know, in many ways, we got Donald Trump in the first place as a punishment for not being good enough citizens. And our ability to mitigate the harm he's going to do to institutions, to alliances, um, to the security of the world will depend on our, as individuals, willingness to do to be better citizens in the future. And that means being informed citizens. And our last hypocrisy one, this was actually an article Bizarre, MSDNZ runs corny, satirical, pharmaceutical commercial. And it's on the same concept. Host Chuck Todd prefaced the commercial with a nod to a recent Pew survey, which found that a majority of Americans, both Democrat and Republicans, though more so on the Republican side, feel fatigued by the constant barrage of daily news. Can you blame them if only there was something that could help, Todd intoned. And they ran this weird pharmaceutical ad that if we took something, we could continue to listen to their fucking crazy bullshit on a daily basis. This, once again, is your media elites. And they're just a bunch of jackasses. Our friends at the Pew Research Center finds nearly 7 in 10 Americans say they suffer from news fatigue. If only there was something that could help. It's there when you wake up. 
And when you go to sleep, when you work, when you eat. Endless barrage of news, rapid-fire sound bites, high-intensity tweet storms. You have total and utter news fatigue. Don't you wish there was something that could help? Now there is. Introducing Oblivia. Feel like your old self again. Before the news took over everything, Oblivia targets your entire news consumption system, giving you relief from the nonstop pressure. Now, Oblivia isn't right for everybody. Don't take Oblivia if you suffer from persistent overactive Twitter utilization syndrome or POTUS. Side effects may include blurry television, underactive blabber, unusual sense of good taste, atrophied smartphone thumb, loss of dysfunction, involuntary smiling, hallucinations of adorable puppies and kittens, and of course, chronic mirth. Don't let breaking news break you. Break out of the news cycle with Oblivia. Ask your doctor if Oblivia is right for you. Oblivia, from the makers of Apathex. Come on, we had to have a little fun. By the way, consult your doctor if your elation lasts longer than four hours. We'll be right back. stats of the day. Warriors win back-to-back NBA championship, but ratings take a loss, snagging 11.2 in metered market result. It was down 11% from last year because they go into the game. It wasn't the game. It's just boring. It's like the NFL. When it's New England all the time, people just don't want to watch. And this has been the same shit back-to-back-to-back-to-back. It's LeBron against the Warriors. It's just boring. Facebook confirms its partners with anti-conservative SPLC, Southern Poverty Law Center. And does that really, really surprise anybody? It kind of sums up what they've been doing. Um, Anti-conservative conservative stuff. Then uh, Prager did a great article, Google's new slogan. The original slogan of Google was don't be evil. When Google changed its corporate name to Alphabet in 2015, it changed the slogan to do the right thing. If it were to be true to its values, Google should have changed its slogan from don't be evil to don't fight evil. Here is the New York Times report from this past Friday. Google hoping to head off a rebellion by employees upset the technology they were working on could be used for lethal purposes, will not renew contact with the Pentagon for artificial intelligent work. Google worked with the Defense Department on the MAVEN program, which uses artificial intelligence to interpret video images and could be used to improve the targeting of drone strikes, roiled the Internet's giant workforce. Many of the company's top AI researchers in particular worried that the contract was a first step towards using the nascent technology and advanced weapons. About 4,000 Google employees signed a petition demanding a clear policy stating neither Google nor its contractors will ever build warfare technology. CBS News reported that the petition also said, we believe that Google should be in the bu- should not be in the business of war. In other words, to the heads of Google's and thousands of its elite employees, it is immoral to aid in the defense of the country. And all war is immoral. He breaks down all the positive ones, but they just don't care. 
So we can improve our security, but not to these eggheads who would rather worry about social justice warriors and eggs in emojis. My last podcast. The Hill reports the Supreme Court ruled in favor of Ohio voter purge for the voter rolls. Chuck Schumer went on a fucking screed about this, and so did every liberal, saying it is voter suppression. Here's the problem. All the law was saying is if you moved out the state, or you don't answer the many flyers you get to update your voter registration, you're removed. And to be quite honest, when you read this stuff, it totally looks like they were upset that they couldn't have those dead votes. And there's no way to fucking sum it up. And the most interesting point about this is lost in the media because they don't want to report it. This was started by Democratic politicians in the state. There's a problem with Ohio rolls. They have too many people on there that don't exist. And every state should have the right to purge your records. If you don't vote, if you don't show up, how do you know you're there? And then how do we protect our electoral process when you have all these people that could be possibly dead? Anybody could vote under that fucking name because all these Democratic states don't want voter ID. So you got Joe Blow. Anybody can walk in and vote as Joe Blow. So why shouldn't you update it? It, it, every time one of these laws come along or the Supreme Court does the right thing on these laws, Democrats kind of go Shakespearean. Me doth pro- thinks you to protest too much, and I fucked that all up. But that's, that's what it is. It's almost overboard where you start questioning, why do you care so much? There's got to be some reason why you want dead voters still on the roll. And since we've listened to many a Veritas video, yeah, they truck people in. I mean, it is what they do. That's how they win elections. So those are our stats of the day. We're going to do another Lionel Richie, My Endless Love. Oh, this song was such a good dance song if you were in junior high. And we're going to our news, social media nuggets. My There's only you in my life The only thing that's right My first love You're every breath that I take You're every step I make Tell me how I 
Two hearts that beat as one I'll not as just be bubble one podcast at a time here's tony reed this, this is this is something man this is this is our generation man all you people are, we're all together man it's groovy and dig yourselves because it's really groovy now it's time for news and social media nuggets the crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. It's a whole new ball game on campus these days, and they call it PC. PC? Politically correct. And it's not just politics, it's everything. It's what you eat, it's what you wear, and it's what you say. If you don't watch yourself, you can get in a buttload of trouble. 
for instance. We have right See these girls? Yeah. No, you don't. Those are women. You call them girls and they'll pop your figs. Save the whales. Yeah, he's in the military now. But I understand what you're saying about CNN. Why is it a legal matter what you said? Uh, again, this is an illegal process, and I would refer you to the appropriate venue to answer questions uh, on a legal back and forth, and that is the president's outside counsel, and that's who you should ask those questions so of. Even if you guys want to talk about questions that have to do with White House policy and substantive policy, I'm happy to try to answer those and do the best I can to provide you that information. If you want to talk about things uh, that don't have anything to do with me uh, and that Except are does, that right? are the venue because of this is what the said. outside counsel, then that's who should answer those questions. I get it. I get that that's the answer. But you also get that it's unsatisfying. Right. That's that's why we're that's why we're frozen. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I I don't understand having to answer the same question over and over and well, over because again. Because you haven't an answered. That's why. And an in all in all due difference. respect, it's because you didn't answer it. No, that's not true. I've answered it. You just didn't like the answer. And there's a big difference between there, there uh, me not answering be, it and you not liking there, the there answer. There can be no fair point. There can be a difference. However, I don't know that there is here because this is about something you said. You could have said this then, when people asked you, "Hey." What Sekulo says, is it right? Why didn't you say then? It's a matter for counsel. Uh, again, I, I'm not going to get into a back and forth with you. I've addressed it. The, the outside counsel has addressed it. They've answered this question over the last couple of days, and I would refer you back to those comments. Let's look at it a different way. <laughs> Do you wish that the White House had corrected the error between where it started and where it wound up with Sekulo in this letter sooner? I wish that we spent a lot less time focused on things the American people don't care about. I wish we spent a lot less time talking about this witch hunt and that we talked about things that impact everyday Americans. I wish we spent a lot more time talking about the economy. I wish that your network had spent a lot more time today covering uh, a very important piece of legislation that the president signed when he uh, spent a good bit of time this afternoon talking about the importance of Veterans Choice Act that he signed into law today. Uh, and your network didn't even take that. I wish those were the things that we spent time talking we about. We didn't take and the I whole would love VA. to spend oh, some look, more time talking we, about We did that. take Kudlow's uh, whole symposium. A lot of people did not. You have to make choices in this business. But And I understand if you guys didn't want to put the veterans uh, as the choice that you made. And I think that's a sad you know decision. What, you that know that's, that's made. not what it's about. And I know that that's something you know that's, that's important to you. And I think it's sad that we don't spend more time on those topics. You and I have had wow. that conversation both on camera and yes. off camera. And it's no different on camera than it is off with me. I think you know that. And that's why I think we should be talking about issues that people care about. Right. But credibility is something that people care about. The yeah, truth I, is what people care about. Nobody thinks except really right now the president and maybe you in this moment that this is a witch hunt. These are real questions. It's a real investigation. We've seen real indictments and lots of different threads to the story. But really asking that this is, this be looked into I'll, I'll as well. I'll ask you a third time. I don't know why you keep calling it that. Because Bob Mueller is one of the most respected people in your party. Because He's there a decorated is, veteran. There is, Everybody stood up and cheered when he got this job. I'm glad you guys want to mention the veterans now, but you didn't want to cover it well, when sorry, we were actually provided. Have, you, have uh, I ever taken a cheap shot at you? Things. Why would you say that we don't support the veterans? That's not what I said. I said you. You were the guys who decided not to uh, invite one of the biggest veterans groups who was in favor of the choice bill to the ceremony today. The IAVA, one of the largest populations, just because well, they haven't been as affectionate to the Trump administration. No, but I'm saying, look, I think that. We have a very strong case to make that we cover veterans' issues as well or not better than anyone. I don't think we need a cheap shot. I ask you the questions. Yeah.
I had to play that. That's Sarah Sanders handed to CNN. You know, the, the VA bill wasn't covered by anybody because they don't want to show any progress that was supposedly done under Obama. Because remember, he came in saying he's going to fix the VA. Shinseki later, nothing was fixed. Positive news also in our military corner. Communism will win. Army soldier gets other than honorable discharge. After months of silence, we have finally learned the fate of the West Point graduate who infamously declared communism will win and decried Secretary Mattis as the most vile, evil fuck in the current administration. Former U.S. Army Infantry Officer Spencer Rapone has been other than honorable discharge. The news of Rapone's discharge came via the announcement that he would be one of the speakers of the Socialism 2018 Conference in Chicago in July. You go to his site, he is a fucktard. How the hell somebody admitted him into West Point? I do not know. But it's great to see he got other than honorable. Fuck him for life. For life, I say. Air Force grounds entire B-1B bomber fleet due to dangerous ejection seat malfunction. A plane had to land under emergency circumstances because they couldn't eject. Ejection seat didn't work. So let's hope they get those fixed because that's an important bomber. Uh, article from Task and Purpose. These five military bases are so bad they should count as a deployment. <laughs> Sometimes you end up drawing the short straw when it comes to military assignment locations. Perhaps you parked in the admin NCO's parking spot. Maybe your quirky officer prank on an executive officer went horribly wrong. But whatever the reason, you're going to be PCSing to one of these horrible hotspots, which are all so bad you wish you were in Kuwait. The icy nuclear north. The U.S. Northern Fortress of Military Strategic Solitude, Minot Air Force Base, has long been a prime destination for career-ending mishaps. From misplaced nuclear weapons to security force losing grenades, this snowy wonderland has suck tattoo on its forehead. <clears throat> and that's where my son-in-law and my grandkids are right now with my daughter. They just got stationed there. They're in the middle of nowhere, and their cell phones don't work. The Military Bayou. Fort Polk. I don't think that's bad a post. I've been there nine times and it wasn't too bad. Where the Corps gets crusty and the Army sweats. 29 Palms of Fort Irwin. As you all know, I was stationed there. It does suck. The chilly northern hellhole hated by all. Fort Drum. Yeah. And then Altus Air Force Base in Oklahoma. Upon landing, assume you dodge the tornado. You can find exactly one Applebee's to toss your $51 per diem at. Altus started out as a scrapyard for World War II aircraft, but now it's just a scrapyard for your hopes and dreams of being stationed in California. After much consideration, these are the five bases that should count as a deployment if they manage to survive the next round of base closures. But until that day of reckoning comes, feel free to bribe whoever's in charge of assignments and try not to get there. Great article. And it'll take us into our college crazy. Course claims objectivity is a white mythology. The course being offered next at Hobart Williams Smith College will explore how concepts like meritocracy, objectivity are just white 
mythologies. Are you fucking shitting me? White mythologies, objective meritocracy, and other social constructions is a sophomore level course taught by Kendralin Freeman and Jason Rodriguez, or sociology and anthropology professors, respectively. Students will explore how systematic logics that position the West and whiteness as the ideal manifest through such social constructs as objectivity. Mm-hmm. The course explores the history and ongoing manifestations of white methodology, long-standing, often implicit views about the place of white male Euro-American subjects as a norm, which as the students will also explore how systematic logics that position the Western whiteness as the ideal. They also contend that effort to increase minority representation on college campuses may actually promote white privilege as well, since those diversity efforts are often couched in neoliberal sloganeering as opposed to an acknowledgement that racism exists. Yes. They don't break down how objectivity is something bad, or how they're going to break that down as it is a bad white concept, because the reality is without objectivity, you wouldn't have your fucking whole faux industry that everybody's racist. We have to be objective to believe your bullshit. Feminist course questions of science can be objective. Are social and political considerations relevant to science? Is it possible for science to be objective? This course examines various feminist critiques of traditional approaches to ethics and the knowledge. Explains the course description. Historically, how has science contributed to the subordination of women? Are social and political considerations relevant to science? Is it possible for science to be objective? Though the description implies that students will debate whether science can be objective, the professor appears to have already made up her mind. What can be done to make science less biased? Are traditional moral theories adequate for addressing the problem that women face? Do women tend to think about morality differently than men do? What is feminist ethics? Wow. That's probably a science credit, too. Don't get it. Lawsuit alleged UMN illegally procured aborted fetal tissue. Oral arguments were heard Thursday in a lawsuit accusing the University of Minnesota illegally procuring and using human fetal tissue for research, according to the press release put out by the Thomas More Society, a nonprofit law firm that is dedicated to restoring respect and law for life, family, and religious liberty. As a policy in place that obtained fetal tissue for out-of-state circumventing the Minnesota legislature's intended constrictions, contrary to the university's apparent circumvention of the governing statute, governing all fetus regarding of their origin. Specifically, the plaintiffs claim the university engaged in continuous unauthorized usurpation of authority and urged the courts to require UMN to prove that it did not violate Minnesota fetal tissue laws, and they did, and they were found guilty. Well, I bet they got it from PPFA. Christian colleges prevail over Obamacare in federal court after a legal battle lasting nearly six years. Federal judges ruled in favor of two Christian colleges sought to be exempted from the Obamacare provision mandating contraceptive coverage for employees. And thank you, Lord, that's a good thing. Nobody should have to break their religion for your dogma or your religion, liberals. Alt-left insanity from media... Um, not media matters. Uh, media research. Sorry, my brain locked. The prophet Muhammad intersexual feminist. Are you fucking shitting me? 
Some of the more intractable knots from the loopy left. The interwebs are an individual source of information about a pivotal figure in religious history. Just this morning, I learned that Moses became president of the NRA and Buddha was a CrossFit pioneer. And the prophet Muhammad hosted the first production of the Vagina Monologues. Or he would have, because according to MuslimGirl.com, Allah's messenger, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was an early intersectional feminist himself. You read that right. The patriarch, patriarch, was a feminist and an intersectional one of that. Intersectionality, a hot concept at fast food joints, retail stores, or anywhere else you find people with gender studies degrees, is a way of smoothing over the many contradictions inherent in modern identity politics. Basically, it says that since white guys are the oppressors, we gays, blacks, browns, women, will put aside our differences for the good of the struggle. As it does with so much else, Monty Python brings us an earlier and penetrating example of intersectionality. Intersectional feminists, say Muslim girl, is an understanding of how women's overlapping identities like race, class, religion, sexual orientation, ethnicity, all come together to affect the way they experience oppression and discrimination. Muslim Girl says the might of the Arabs wanted to generate as much inclusivity as possible, and she gives us some examples of straight one getting his intersectionality on. Prophet Muhammad revealed ideals of gender equality that were considered revolutionary feminists in the historical context of time, regardless of what others might have thought. I'm not reading anymore. Are you fucking shitting me? What do you think women couldn't read, couldn't go to school, burkas? Get the fuck out of here! Moving on, Daily Beast writer bashes Trump Christians on Gay Pride Month. You knew this was coming. An LGBT movement tries to paint itself as the reasonable side of the discussion, but its confused, punctaceous arguments often manifest the opposite. On June 6th, the Daily Beast published an article by legal affairs columnist Jay Michelson, which is the headline, If Trump won't proclaim Pride Month, let's proclaim LGBT Rage Month instead. In the article, Michelson, a member of the LGBTQEIEIO community, complained about how our president and his staff have been unable to issue a meaningless proclamation that June is Pride Month and ran it against Christians and Trump administration for the opposition to the LGBTQEIO movement. Michelson, as the headline suggests, and the article confirmed, was angry. And there's nothing wrong with being angry unless your anger makes one inconsistent and hypocritical. That is, at first, Michelson claimed that saying happy pride as someone is a greeting about a controversial as happy Mother's Day, and that the administration should just declare gay pride month because it would be simple, meaningless proclamation. First of all, as he's seen the news recently, gay pride as liberals define it is still a controversial issue. Regardless, after stressing President Trump's failure to issue a meaningless proclamation about gay pride, he backtracked and said Pride Month is a symbolic gesture and that Trump's non-declaration of pride is a symbol backed up with countless substantive attacks on the LGBT equality and freedom that somehow Trump's done, even though he was before gay marriage, before Obama and Hillary were. Hmm. Michaels and comments then turned from contradictory to hypocritical. He had it out for Christians throughout the whole article and accused them of holding the gay, that gays aren't anybody. We aren't gay. We certainly aren't trans and that who we are is a mistake. It is almost the very next line he proceeds to call God, who's at the center of every Christian life, the imaginary man in the sky. 
So it's not okay to call people fake unless they're Christians. Got it. Although Michelson listens, lists events and policies to back up his point, what the point was was unclear. He couldn't even figure out who he was attacking at first, our president, the staff, to beholden the bigots who deny the LGBT people even exist. But then Michelson did not even blame the White House for adopting these Christian right allies, attack those willfully ignorant folks to say that LGBT are doing just fine under Trump Pence. But by the end, he was attacking the administration again, as was quoted earlier, Trump's non-declaration of pride is a symbol backed up with countless substantive attacks on LGBT equality and freedom. <clears throat> if you get the pride month you got, nobody will back it up because you want to have men's asses and chaps. That was the last podcast. Gender Studies Program Director argues in Washington Post, and they printed it, why can't we hate men? Susan Walter's opinion. Why can't we hate men? Yeah. Why, why can't you? So in this moment, here in the land of legislatively legitimated toxic masculinity, is it really so illogical to hate men? She concludes a list of instructions for men, seeing as there are too many to just get rid of. So men, if you are a hashtag with us, and would like us to not hate you for all the millennia of woe you have produced and benefited from, start with this. Lean out so we can actually just stand up without being beaten down. Pledge to vote for feminist women only. Don't run for office. Don't be in charge of anything. Step away from power. We got this. And please know that your crocodile tears won't be wiped away by us anymore. We have everything right, every right to hate you. You have done us wrong. Hashtag because patriarchy. It is a long time past time to play hard for team feminists and win. Educated hillbilly. All liberal. All liberals had to do was not being completely insane. And Ben McDonald. Democracy dies in hating each other. I can't believe they print that. But that's what I say on the show all the time. It's not about black rights, gay rights, and women's rights. It's about superiority. They just want to be in charge. And then eventually they'll infight and hate each other. After ABC apologized for the plot in an episode of Quantico, Pakistani writer and journalist Fatima Bhutto said, Hollywood apologies need to go further. Fatima Bhutto, super. We'll be here waiting for an apology for Homeland 24, Tyrant Rambo, Zero Dark Thirty, American Sniper, and Munich. Actually said that. The entire world said, how do we... Well, they said it like this. Um, on Munich, you mean the movie about how Palestinian terrorists in real life murder 11 Israeli athletes? That actually happened. The apology is owed to the dead, not you. Sonny Bunch. Not really sure apologize for your portrayal of Osama bin Laden and Munich Olympic terrorists is really the hill to die on. But I tell you, it's happening. I'm watching six, and in six, all the terrorists are white. Networks are scared to put an Arab-looking person as a terrorist. Yes, in the world we live, the Arab people are the terrorists. But, you know, let's not have facts. Ten worst liberal TV scenes of 2018 so far. This is pretty good. Number one, shameless. Carpet munching is Jesus' love. Yeah. 
Will and Grace. Will and Grace won't bake mega cake. Conservatives are terrible people. We covered on the show. Three, designated survivor. Terrorists revealed to be liberal, libertarian motivated by a free enterprise on designated survivor. Four, the shy, which I tried to watch, but they hate white people too much, so I couldn't. Southside Chicago and refuses to get a job, pay Trump tax on the new show. Five, our cartoon president, how do grown adults still worship Jesus? Yeah. Six, how to get away with murder, ABC drama claims racism is built in the DNA of America. Yeah. Seven, rise, NBC high school drama features first gay teen kiss and plans for abortion. We cover that. Eight, the good fight, the good fight character, we need to assassinate the president. Blackish. Does episode on teaching black kids America hates you. I'm going to read this one because I didn't cover it. Reliable source for racial tensions under the guise of comedy and liberal propaganda lectures. This year is no different in the latest effort to divide the nation even further. The show literally warns black children that America hates you and all the dialogue is America hates you. And 10 Law and Order Special Victims Unit, which my wife can't watch anymore because of their PC bullshit. Depicts brutal rape of feminist conservative that looked like Ann Coulter. Well, there's your top ten. And while I was reaching this, I found this craziness, and I gotta cover it. The top 50 most racist TV shows of all time. This is actually the funniest list. Number 50, Two Broke Girls. Yeah. Perhaps one of the laziest sitcoms on television Two Broke Girls feels itself on stereotypes. The most blatantly racist move, the short, asexual, Asian workaholic. In one episode, Kate Denning character, even though his line, can't tell an Asian he made a mistake, he'll go in back and throw himself on a sword. And don't even get us started on the rape jokes. Number 49, I'm serious, they wrote it, Alf. Clearly a relative of the hook-nosed Schuster Merster merchant, and somehow they're saying it's anti-Semitic. A fucking puppet. 49, Chicken Soup, never heard of it. 47, Deadliest Warrior. CGI technology and 21st century quack science are used to stage a reenactment and determine who would win if warriors from various civilizations fought each other. I used to watch the show. I don't know how that's racist. They portrayed the warriors as they were. 46, Manimal. 45, Cops. Yeah. Some say Cops isn't racist. It's classist. They say the world's most famous reality show unfairly focuses on lower class criminals committing risky, unusual, ridiculous, stupid crimes back black or Hispanic people. Then why, oh brown Jesus, are most of the criminals on the show black or Hispanic? Maybe because they're doing the show. I watch Cops. It's 50-50. The meth cases are white people. The stealing are the black people. What do you want the cops to do? Not cover it? 44, Lou Dobbs tonight. They just go on the, he's just a huge racist. 43, Method in Red. I, I don't know. Rappers are often accused of reinforcing negative black stereotypes, but rarely has it come into focus as clearly as it did on this short-lived suburban invasion sitcom starring Def Jam's lovable tank team. The show's white writers loved coming up with wacky ways that Red and Meth could freak out their white neighbors. Really? This is what you went with? 42, Aliens in America. 41, Friends. 
Little known line for the first draft of the Friends theme song. Your job's a joke, you're broke, but you're white, so it's okay. Yeah, that was it. Sure, it's possible, but they c- couldn't easily throw a black person in the... Mi- oh, because you didn't have a black person. Got it. 40 Glee. Yeah, Glee. On the surface, a show with a cast that is versus Glee couldn't be racist until you realize that the black and Asian dudes are practically mute and the black girl is fat. Oh, okay. Sex in the City, because it was all white chicks, I guess. Martin is racist. We don't think whiteface is racist either, but in the interest of fairness, here you go, cracker. That's what they wrote. Mm-hmm. 37, Beverly Hills 90210, because they're all white. 36, the little rascals. Are you fucking shitting me? 35, Homeland Security, never heard of it. The Simpsons, for the same reason we keep on hearing, because of Abu. They just don't like Abu. Amos and Addie, Andy. ANA started a vilely racist and surprisingly exceedingly popular radio show in 1920 starring two white guys voicing buffoonish black characters. 32, American Idol. Yeah, black people have won three of nine American Idol seasons, but the obnoxious karaoke fest is exempt from covering racism. For one, William Hung in the show's most famous... Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. 31, All-American Girl. 30, Harlem Globetrotters. And 29 is a Super Globetrotters. Those are cartoons when I was a kid. 28, The Secret Diary of Desmond Pfeiffer. Never heard of it. 27, Chippendales Rescue Rangers. A cartoon. Siamese cats that run a laundromat with an illegal gambling operation in the basement that speak in garbled English. But they're Siamese. It's just realism. Jeez, you're touchy. Now just find us a Siam on a map, okay? The Facts of Life is number 26. Just because it's all a girl show was a spinoff of Different Strokes doesn't mean it was just racist against black people. Sure, the one time Tootsie landed herself an African-American jock boyfriend, it turned out dude couldn't read. But it's gems like a little ditty called The Americanization of Miko that makes this sitcom equally opportunity ignorant. Basically, Joe befriends a Japanese girl. Oh my God, you guys are idiots. The Hills, because everybody's white. Happy Days. The classic throwback that made it seem like blacks were non-existent. 23, CSI Miami, because they bashed Latinos. 22, Mr. Magoo. Yeah, Magoo. 21, Homeboys in Outer Space. 20, South Park. 19, Kung Fu, because you had a white guy playing an agent. The Cleveland Show, made by Seth MacFarlane. I don't... Know how that, but whatever. Survivor Cook Island, the 70s show was number 16. Mind of Messia is racist to them, but it was written and produced and directed by a Latino, but okay. Tom and Jerry. Yeah, I'm serious. Number 14. We could give Tom and Jerry cartoons a pass for being a product of the racist era and even tip our fit, fitted because many of the scenes with dark skinned cannabis. Cannibals characters of blackface are mommy two shoes. The porn abuse of black matron with a rodent problem were edited out or altered from 65 transition TV. We could, but we won't. Because muting offensive looking cannibals, reducing but not entirely eliminating blackface and replacing a fat, abrasive, poverty stricken black woman with a fat, abrasive, poverty stricken Irish one isn't like exactly like singing kumbaya. 13, Dick Tracy Show. 12, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Are you serious? 11, 
Power Rangers. Yeah. People blame rappers, video games, and movies for fucking up the kids, but the Expendables aren't messing your kids up. It's the Power Rangers. Let's just list all the defenses. The Pink Ranger was a ditzy white girl. The Red Ranger was a Native American. The Black Ranger was, well, black. The Yellow Ranger was Asian. The robot was short, screamed, ay, 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 and his head looked like sombrero. The White Ranger was the strongest, and he looked like a KKK member. And finally, whenever the Black Ranger fights, the song changed from action to smooth beat that he dances to before kicking ass. Come on, son, like you need more proof. Number 10, Hong Kong Fui, The Lone Rangers, 9. Outsourced is 8. Johnny Quest is 7. Really? Really? Johnny fucking Quest. 6, 24, 5, Family Guy, 4, Different Strokes. But I thought that was the reason why we started becoming better as a nation, because we had black people on TV. But okay. Looney Tunes, because you know fucking Porky Pig's racist as fuck. Number two is Seinfeld. All those crazy New Yorkers with their clothes talkers and man hands and shrinkable shrinkage and somehow no people of color anywhere. Yeah, there it is. And last but not least, Fox News. That was your top 50 racist shows, because these people have nothing better than to do than blame everybody else for their fuck-ups. The other crazy stuff, meat traces found in vegan and vegetarian ready meals. <laughs> Arm found inside an alligator pulled from Davy Lake. They, it was a woman who disappeared dog walking. That's kind of scary. This one cracked me the fuck up. Man and his monkey are caged by cops. Dude was stealing shit. He was stealing cars and was using his monkey to help him do it. Yeah. And lastly, before we go to a soundbite, homeless teen graduates at the top of his class. A homeless Utah teen had odds against him, but without so much as the stability of a place to sleep at night, 18-year-old Thomas Schwab didn't just make it through those hard, awkward high school years. He graduated at the top of his class and maintained a hopeful outlook that can inspire us all. Schwab's family fell on hard times, and the teen ended up homeless alone for most of 11th and 12th grade. We weren't able to find another house to live in, recalled. I float around at people's houses and I stayed outside. He's going to join the Navy and I think that is just fucking fantastic. That disproves America's a fucked up country that you got to be rich or white to get stuff done. Off the streets did his job. The last one, as we'll go out of our news social media nuggets and go to Lighter Fair, is from Patriot26. I'm in Amsterdam. I met the kindest guy from South Africa. It broke my heart to hear what he knows of America. He traveled the world but is afraid to come to the U.S. He showed me the video and said, this is how America is portrayed to my people. And it's that crazy video we covered a couple months ago. Here is the soundbite. America. Childish Gambino's This Is America has become an overnight cultural phenomenon, and it's still the kind of video you have to watch more than once. Throughout the piece, Gambino plays the complex role of America herself, from violence to the use of entertainment as a distraction. He's playing both the caricature and the ringleader. The internet quickly picked up tons of hidden messages that were scattered throughout the video. Here's some that you might have missed. 
The scene opens up on a black man walking up to a guitar in an empty warehouse. He looks a lot like Trayvon Martin's father, but contrary to popular belief, it's actually LA artist Calvin II. Gambino comes into view wearing pants and shoes that Twitter users have linked to old Confederate uniforms. He's also wearing two small gold chains, a double entendre for physical bondage and obsession with consumerism. He dances with exaggerated movements and facial expressions. He moves closer to the seated man, who no longer has his guitar and has a bag covering his head. This is America. The song's first bridge talks about how entertainment media is serving as a distraction from bigger issues at hand. The girl here represents America, and the frame here represents real-life injustices that are happening. Shaking the frame distorts and blurs what's really going on. Dear white people creator Justin Simeon was quick to point out on Twitter that the movements and expressions Gambino does seem to be modeled after Jim Crow. This caricature was commonly used as a reference in minstrel shows in the 18 and 1900s. White actors would perform in blackface and act out black stereotypes. Listen here, you won't let me speak. Don't you know Swanee River is right up creek? Come on and carry me. Many also noted that aside from dances from viral videos, one specific dance they're doing is the Guara Guara, which originated in South Africa. This could be a possible nod to similarities between racism in America and South Africa's apartheid. On the flip side, some have included the dancing as a method of survival. The dancers are dancing with Gambino, who's playing America, and they're never injured. Many on Twitter have cited that America has a tendency to applaud for black culture, while turning their backs to the issues we face. Whether the dancing is used to numb the pain, gain social media followers, or simply survive, his movements are a literal and figurative distraction from the chaos in the background. The hooded man riding the white horse seen here is a biblical symbol for the apocalypse. The only elements of the video that shock of Gambino's trance-like movements is the shootings. At face value, the murders are modern-day American gun violence. The second verse is preluded with a happy choir who's gunned down by Gambino. It's impossible not to draw parallels with the Charleston church shooting, which was found to be racially motivated. But a slightly less noticeable symbol was the care in which the guns were handled after each shooting. The guns were wrapped in red cloth with care. Many online have that this represents how red America values guns over human lives. While all this violence is taking place in the warehouse, which looks irregular to a prison, Gambino says, this, is silly. this could have a double meaning. One, how cell phones are being used as tools to document this brutality. Or two, Selly could mean cell block, a commonly used tool to unjustly keep blacks in a cycle of incarceration. The final scenes of the video show Gambino and SZA surrounded by old, stagnant cars, still inside the warehouse. Twitter was quick to point out that this scene represents lack of progression and forward movement. The video ends with Gambino running like hell, doing everything in his power to escape. It's as if he snapped out of America's spell and is doing everything he can to find a way out. Are there any other hidden messages we might have missed? Let us know in the comments below. Wow. 
if all that that lady was talking about is true, that dude's a big old, the Glover's a fucking racist. Jesus Christ, man. You people want to live in the past. Go ahead. America has come so far from its ills, but you don't want to see that. Because it's better to blame white people for everything wrong in your life than to actually sum up like white people do. Hey, I'm unemployed because I quit my job, and now I'm looking for another job. But that, that's how I look at it. It wasn't the brother that kept me down, or the man, or whatever the fuck. And this whole Black Lives Matter shit is a crock of shit. There have been very few, and we've proven it on the show, I don't care what you liberals think, very few shootings where a guy was wrongfully shot. If you have a fucking gun, and you point it at cops, you're going to get zapped. Just like blacks do to blacks in Chicago, which none of you care about. So, let's listen to our lighter fare, since I got all serious there. This is the Ranger Up, one I've been trying to play for a couple weeks. And, uh, International Wrestling Day and a couple of Bad News Network. And next week I'll get more current because this is kind of dated. So enjoy. International Wrestling Day. I'm Nick Palmashano, and this is the Bad News Network. I'd like to start this episode off by apologizing for inciting concern last week talking about the Boston Dynamics backflipping robot. Despite the fact that many scientists and lions of industry ranging from Stephen Hawking to Bill Gates to Jack Mandeville have raised concerns that the rise of artificial intelligence will ultimately be the downfall of mankind, that doesn't make it so. And for that, I'd like to apologize. So to start the news off, Amazon's Alexa secretly started filming a conversation between its owners and then texted that conversation to a random person in the contact list. When asked about this creepy as f transaction, Amazon replied, this is highly irregular. Tragedy struck this week in Santa Fe when an evil loser who thought he was owed a date with a girl murdered her and nine of her classmates and wounded many others, including a former police officer that was the security officer for the school. Very quickly, social media was abuzz with the need to outlaw the AR-15, along with calls that uh, you really only need a shotgun or a handgun for protection. Shortly thereafter, we found that, in fact, the murders took place with a shotgun and a handgun the student stole from his father illegally. The narrative quickly shifted to, do you even need a gun? Is there ever a situation where a good guy with a gun actually saves the day? And it's a valid question. Moving on to the news in Oklahoma. A shooter entered Louie's Bar and Grill and shot two female patrons before a good guy with a gun shot him and ended the incident. Stormy Daniels, the alleged mistress of President Donald Trump, received the key to the city of West Hollywood this week for extorting money from the president and then 
unextorting the money in order to get a better book and movie deal than she would have otherwise. Upon hearing the news, Monica Lewinsky, who at the age of 21 was demonized and had her life ruined over performing oral sex on a much older and demanding President Clinton, replied, What in the actual f***? In rapey Hollywood news, Harvey Weinstein was finally brought to prison today after the long dick of the law finally caught up with him. I'd make a prison rape joke, but I don't think that's kosher anymore. This year's annual Boy Scout Jamboree is making headlines for allowing alcohol and condoms for the first time ever. Veteran Boy Scouts everywhere are in an uproar asking, where the hell was this when I was in? In sports, LeBron James is down 3-2 to two to the Boston Celtics, leaving sports writers everywhere with the tough, tough choice between talking about a great LeBron James comeback or making excuses for him and how his teammates all suck. In North Korea news, North Korea threatened to pull out of the historic summit, calling Vice President Mike Pence ignorant and stupid. In response, President Trump said, You want to make fun of my boy? Then we ain't summiting sh**. I don't care if we did print 250 commemorative coins, motherfucker. He then added, if you stop being a dick, maybe we still summit. To which North Korea responded, we might want to summit in two someday. We'll think about it. In international news, it was confirmed this week that the Malaysian airliner that was shot down over the Ukraine was in fact destroyed by the Russian military. In response to this allegation, Russia replied, no sh**. And finally, Deadpool 2 came out this weekend, and it was really f***ing funny. And that's this week's news. I'm Nick Palmashano with the Bad News Network, delivering news that's at least as bad as the news you're already getting. Hi, this is Nick Palmashano with the Bad News Network. I've only got seven minutes before I have to catch a flight, so we're going to make this quick. In evil robot taking over the world news, Facebook has created two robots that they designed to talk to each other. After only a few minutes of talking to each other in English, they rapidly switched to another language that they created themselves. Scared shitless, Facebook engineers killed both robots with fire. Roseanne Barr, the comedian that grabbed her crotch and burped while singing the national anthem, accused George Soros of stealing Holocaust victims' money, who dressed up as Hitler in 2009 while baking Jewish gingerbread cookies, and who tweeted the address of George Zimmerman's parents, forcing them to go into hiding, was fired for posting an offensive comment on Twitter. Shockingly, ABC was shocked by her behavior. Many cast members, who we hadn't heard from in decades, rapidly jumped to Twitter to say, I had just told my manager to quit, but then we found out that we had been canceled. Sure you did. John Goodman, the series patriarch, had this to say. Whatevs, I'm John fucking Goodman. In truth is stranger than fiction news, Kim Kardashian met with President Trump, which kicked off a battle of tweets between Candace Owens, Kanye West's political consigliere, and Ben Shapiro. The war kicked off because Shapiro mocked the president's worship of celebrities. Why would he be meeting with Kim Kardashian, he opined. Owens was quick to respond with fire, and this Twitter war escalated to the point where Owens was quoted as saying, Don't you ever talk down to me again. Ever. At which point, every military veteran, regardless of race, creed, sex, or religious beliefs, rapidly in their own head responded, Don't you ever talk down to me, ever! 
never show your weakness. In a separate announcement, President Trump and Kim Kardashian have announced their new reality TV series, Prison Rules. Poland pulled a big Lebowski moment and they said, this Russian aggression will not stand, man. By offering America $2 billion to set up a permanent military installation there, you know we're going to do it. Athies everywhere are buying pierogies at record paces, preparing for the onslaught of dependents that are way hotter than soldiers deserve. In corrupt religious news, Jesse Duplantis has asked his followers to pay for his fourth private jet, proving once again that people are really fucking stupid. When we reached out to Jesus about this story, he replied simply, If I decide to come back again, I'm doing it just to kick that guy's ass. Satan followed up with, Fuck, I don't even want that guy. He'll probably take over the place. Jason Seaman, the hero 7th grade teacher that stopped a shooting in a school this week, was honored by the White House. Seaman admitted that he had been bullied his entire life due to his unfortunate name, but that it had provided him with these guns, which were able to stop those guns. We know we're going to hell for this one. Almost there. How late am I going to be? I've got a shot at being only mildly late. Three boys running a lemonade stand in Denver, Colorado as part of support for an Indonesian boy with Compassion International were shut down by the hard hand of the law today. Police were forced to shut these boys down because they were a mobile vendor without a permit. They were apparently turned in by a nearby adult vendor that was charging three times as much for his lemonade. And it was hurting sales. In other news, a child gang in Denver, Colorado beat the crap out of a lemonade salesman, leaving no clues except for Sharpie across his forehead that simply said, Snitches get stitches. Russian journalist Arkady Babchenko was murdered, and then unmurdered, in what proved to be an international sting operation against Russian assassins. That sounds like the plot to a bad movie. Western journalists who have never had attempts made on their life and whose idea of a bad day is getting shit from my editor before my first cappuccino were quick to jump on board and let Babchenko know that he was a coward. Babchenko replied with a bunch of angry Russian words that we don't actually understand but we think roughly translates to are you fucking kidding me? In Star Wars news, Solo failed brutally, bringing in only $114 million on a $300 million budget. Even worse, in China, where they were expected to double the U.S. domestic take, they only did $11.4 million. That's so low. Who would have thought that a rehash of everybody's favorite Star Wars character done with a completely different actor that looks nothing like that character, combined with a bunch of political statements, would have made for a bad movie? I know I didn't. And that's Nick Palmashano with the Bad News Network. Our news is at least as bad as the news you're already getting, and I am super late for a flight right now. I hope I make it. And our last topic is a pretty serious one. Representative Chris Smith tells every press member to see new abortion vid. On Thursday, pro-life group Live Action held the Washington, D.C. press conference with several members of Congress. The event responded to a new investigative report by Live Action that accused Planned Parenthood of covering up child sex abuse in the Me Too area, era. During the event, Representative Chris Smith 
of New Jersey asked every member of the press to watch the docuseries connected to the report. In those videos, live action focused on recorded cases of abuse, former abortion worker testimonies, statutory rape, and sex trafficking, including information from further live action investigations. As co-chair of the Congressional Pro-Life Caucus, Smith thanked live action for enormous public service and report which documents several instances of PPFA has failed to report sexual abuse of children. He criticized PPFA complicitly in sex trafficking as absolutely appalling. Later on, he stressed absolutely appalling again and delivered a message to the media. I encourage every one of you to watch it. It will make you ill. Our media has pretty much ignored this whole investigation and here is just one of the videos. Through the Time's Up and Me Too movements, America is calling for an end to sexual abuse in every institution. Whether it's Hollywood, sports, politics, or big media, we've heard the names of perpetrators and their enablers, people who knew about the abuse but did nothing to stop it. And every story seems to have the same theme, the enablers. Harvey Weinstein, everyone talks about the Harvey, but it's like, yeah, but who are the enablers? It's not the people who don't know that worry me, it's the people who do know and do nothing. But few are calling out one of America's biggest accomplices to sexual abuse, even though there is widespread documentation of systemic sexual abuse cover-up behind its doors. The group is called Planned Parenthood and they are tax-funded. Planned Parenthood CEO has claimed on television that sexual assault victims come to their facilities on a daily basis. See, there's a Planned Parenthood every day. You know, we treat women who are survivors of sexual assault, of domestic violence. This is not a new issue. I think what's new is finally people are talking about it out in the open. But what their CEO doesn't tell you is what happens to these assault victims. The widespread cover-up of abuse of young girls at Planned Parenthood. We are here to tell these stories. Through live action seven-part video series, we will show you how Planned Parenthood can consistently and deliberately fails to report instances of child sexual abuse to law enforcement. Our series includes many cases documented in the public record, including lawsuits and news reports of Planned Parenthood sexual abuse cover-up, such as this. Arizona, 2002, the court found Planned Parenthood negligent for failing to report an abortion performed on a 12-year-old child in foster care who had been sexually abused by her 23-year-old foster brother. Planned Parenthood did not notify Child Protective Services nor the girl's foster parents. The failure to report led to six more months of sexual abuse, resulting in a second abortion at Planned Parenthood. We then hear the testimony of former employees and managers that witnessed Planned Parenthood's enabling of abuse firsthand. There'd be girls coming in with their abusers, and even if they knew, even if I went to the manager and I said, look, there's something going on here, she would say, She's better off with the abortion. We can't do anything about what's going on at home, but at least we can give her the abortion. You will also see two of Live Action's national undercover investigations into Planned Parenthood. The first investigation shows employees at eight Planned Parenthood facilities caught on camera saying they are willing to cover up the sexual abuse of children. Okay, I didn't hear the age. I don't want to know the age. It could be reported as rape. And that's child abuse. In the next investigation, eight staffers at seven Planned Parenthoods express a willingness to aid and abet child sex traffickers who are selling girls as young as 14 years old for sex. You never got this from me, just to make all of our lives easier. Okay. If they're 14 yeah. and under, yeah. 
just send them right there if they need an abortion. <laughs> okay. Our interview with former Planned Parenthood manager Ramona Trevino reveals that in the wake of live action sex trafficking investigation, Planned Parenthood lied to the American people about retraining thousands of staff members to report suspected sexual abuse and human trafficking. I raised my hand and I said, I'm, I'm confused. Like, when are we going to um, actually begin the retraining? What can I do as a manager to take this information back to my staff and put, uh, in, you know, enforce policies and procedures that would help protect uh, women who are experiencing um, either sex trafficking or abuse, sexual abuse of, in, in, any, in any way? And she immediately you know, shot me down and she said, we're not here to talk about that, Ramona. We are here to teach you how to identify if you're being videotaped or recorded or entrapped in any way. Lastly, we interview attorney Brian Hurley, who in addition to bringing lawsuits against Catholic church leaders for their cover up of the sexual abuse of children, also brought two cases against Planned Parenthood for failing to report the rapes of teenage girls. It was clear to me that they had a duty to report um, suspected abuse. I, I think known abuse, but at least suspected abuse. They didn't. Um, and her father continued to rape her for another year. The evidence against Planned Parenthood is widespread and overwhelming. It's time to demand justice for the girls harmed by Planned Parenthood's willingness to look the other way. It's also time to end the taxpayer funding of this corporation and to open state and federal investigations into its practices. To do anything less is to condone the abuse and turn the other way ourselves. The most amazing thing about this, that if it was a right-wing group, you'd hear about this in the media. The media always deflects this by saying it was a pro-life group, so it's biased, it's edited. They try to cover it. In this case, they've said nothing about it. But if 12-year-olds are getting fucking abortions, that's statutory rape. Because nine times out of ten, it's an adult that got him pregnant. Yet, they continue to be the ugly organization. Um, Kimberly Ross, who sums it up as, this is abundantly clear why we don't need to frickin' finance these ghouls. From yesterday, further proof that PP doesn't need our taxpayer dollars. They're doing just well with all this angry fundraising. Planned Parenthood action. Celebrate. Slashed out. Ruin his day. Donate and give a present for Pence. Yeah. People wrote, your industry is the ruin of birthdays. Your industry has insured 40 million birthday candles have been snuffed out. Hey, it's Planned Parenthood. They've been re preventing babies from enjoying birthdays for years. You won't ruin Pence's day. You ruin other lives, babies and their mothers, every day. You are child murderers. Abortion chain to test a political appointment birthday. Sounds about right. Susan B. Anthony. <clears throat> Abortion business. Planned Parenthood is asking people to donate to them in honor of Vice President Mike Pence's birthday. We've got a better idea. Make your gift now to advance pro-life effort to protect babies and moms from Planned Parenthood. That's our media. If the NRA did shit like this, you'd hear about it on New Day on CNN. Ruin this person's, uh, Alyssa Milano's life by donating to NRA on their birthday. It would be, oh, that's just horrible. But this is what they do. And if they're not doing this, they dehumanize babies. 
Ryder compares unborn babies to zombies. The abortion-on-demand crowd is slowly losing the argument. They're tossing up every nonsensical argument they can think of in the hopes that something will work. On June 11th, Alternate posted an article by Planned Parenthood Honored psychologist Valerie Tabrico in an article titled What the Unborn and the Undead Have in Common. Tarico explored the so-called similarities between zombies and unborn babies in an attempt to brand the pro-life argument as magical. Her central argument was that personhood is based on thought. So in the beginning stages of gestation, a human embryo or fetus has no more qualities of personhood, personhood than a zombie. We don't really care about how many zombies die, according to Rico, because they can't think. And so it, it logically follows that we should not care about the 59 million babies aborted since 1973. Rico thought this macabre comp- comparison illustrated that pro-life arguments are based on fantastical beliefs. Religious opponents to abortion is based on the kind of magical thinking, much like a zombie story, the kind of that human bodies can be animated by some supernatural force. So let's talk about the real magical thinking. First of all, since Tariqa was so big on brain activity defining personhood, it's interesting that she forgot to mention that baby's brain is developed by eight weeks, and that by 14 to 16 weeks, which they fight so hard for people to, to stop those abortions, it responds to external stimulus like getting sucked through a fucking razor. Second, the whimsical past by the concept of DNA when ridiculing the argument about personhood started at conception. As is scientifically known, the embryo contains a complete set of DNA distinct from both the father and the mother, which consists of the makeup of the unique person, including his or her brain. Though she may not try to debunk the heartbeat argument by mentioning that all mammals have hearts, she cannot even attempt to compare a baby's DNA to a magical force of a zombie. In addition, Tariko just glossed by the argument that since the embryo has the potential to think it should not be aborted. She simply says that people who hold the position argue wrongly. Perhaps she should not consider someone in a coma. They are not thinking and only have the potential to think. Does that give anyone the right to kill them? Sadly, Tariko and other progressives would probably say yes. Tariko has a history of making provocative claims based on little research or insight. Some previous pieces of hers include claiming that God raped Mary and that orcas have abortions just like humans. Though she claims unborn babies can't think, with her ignorant comments and gross comparison, one wonders whether Tariko thinks clearly herself. And that woman got an honor from Planned Parenthood. For those new to the show, I was pro-choice my entire life till I actually got out of the media and researched myself. And when you realize Planned Parenthood gets $550 million from taxpayers, hands out 776,000 abortion pills a year, and aborts 330,000 babies on average every fucking year from their own numbers, and those Plan B, or as they call them, emergency contraceptive kits, are paid for by us because Obama made it legal and forced people to hand them out under the Obamacare Act. We're paying for abortion. And since the majority of Americans are not for paying for abortions, and the majority of Americans are not for abortions after 20 weeks, 
sorry, Planned Parenthood and Tariko. You're wrongly arguing for something America doesn't want. So that wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends and send comments by emailing FOPPODCAST at gmail.com, FOPPodcast, gmail.com. You can get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember to check out the Flyover Politic webpage at FOPPODCAST.com, FOPPodcast.com. It's a theme. There you see links to feeds of the show, links to our Facebook page, and to email us. There you also find the episode release page with a link to every episode and my blog, which I never do. My intent is to do a podcast uh, next Monday. Might slip one in Friday. Uh, might get lucky and get it done, but we're looking at the 18th of June, year of our Lord, 2018, for the next podcast. I hope you all have a fantastic week. If you're like me, I have icicles coming out of my air conditioner because it is hot as balls in the south. It has just been miserable, miserable hot, hot out. Uh, for those that do listen, I thank you all so much for listening. As usual, I'm not going to close with the usual, hey, don't click, click. I'm going to be self-serving like everybody else on the planet. Hope you wish me positive vibes. I've applied for a couple postal jobs. Um, I am too young to retire. And after six weeks of sitting on my ass, I can't do it anymore. So I've applied for a couple jobs, took my tests, did all that crap. So send me some positive vibes. Um, really want to get back into the workforce and get going. I hope you guys have a fantastic week again. As always, I thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Remember to check out our website at foppodcast.com. And remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count. Stood.